Hello, kiddies. It's me, John Kassir, the voice of the Crypt Keeper, and you're listening to No More Room in Hell. <laughs> when there's no more room in hell, the dead will start a podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to No More Room in Hell, number 28. I'm Mike, and joining me as always, it's Mr. Venom. What's up, Mr. Venom? Greetings and salutations, Amorphous, Nightwish, and Children of Bodom fans. And if you don't know what the hell I'm talking about with that greeting, stick around. All will be revealed. Well, uh, I know what that means. I still want you to reveal what you had to reveal about it, because uh, some <laughs> bands I actually like. But uh, Also joining, as always, my other regular co-host, and Derek, congrats on the GOAT securing another ring, I guess. Uh, Derek, what's up? We are going to Finland, guys. You know? <laughs> yeah. Finland, yeah. <laughs> I don't even know how they sound like in Finland, but, you know, I'm just guessing. Yeah, you know, it's it's been good, Mike. It's been a while. I think there's that Nordic area of Europe that, that just gets all lumped in with one accent when we don't know for sure. Yeah. yeah all, all the Scandinavian countries, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's cold, and it's Northern Europe, and you all sound like this. We've made and up our Women months. are beautiful. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, so... Episode 28, Derek, it was your picks this time around, so I guess let everyone know, what are we going to be discussing later on? Sure. Uh, I picked two first-time watches this time for myself, and they're both from uh, the land of Finland. One is rather older than uh, the other one. Like, uh, the film, that, the first film is like from 1952, which is insane to think about when we get into it. Like they made movies this, like well, I know they made movies, but I didn't know like Finland made movies this early too. You know what I mean? Uh, the White Reindeer, <laughs> and then uh, we're gonna go back to 2008 with a film called Sauna. And pretty much the reason I picked both of these, they're kind of like both like folkish horror slash horror fantasy type tales. But we'll get more into that and when we get into it, you know what I mean? But, uh, yeah, I wanted to always check them out and watch them. And, you know, I was just intrigued by, like, the plot of The White Reindeer when I first heard of this movie. When it was, like, first, like, announced. I'm like, what? What the fuck? <laughs> you know? How, but, how did you how did you come across this one? I'm just curious. I, it got released on Blu-ray through Eureka in the UK, and I saw, like, an announcement for it, and I'm, like, reading the synopsis, and I'm like, what? <laughs> like, what the fuck, you know? Yeah. Like, I saw the poster art, and I'm like, what the fuck is this, you know? Like, <laughs> you know, that's the only reason I heard of it is because somebody was putting it out on Blu-ray. So, uh, yeah, we'll get into that when we get into it, but it was an interesting movie. <laughs> but, <laughs> Yeah, man, definitely. So we'll be discussing those later on. Uh, but let's go ahead and open the show, I guess, how we always do, catching up on a little bit of what we watched. So, Venom, I'm assuming you have a list since it's been uh, 
a while since we've recorded a show. So uh, what do you got? Well, let's see. Most of what I've been watching, uh, unfortunately, because of the return of a couple of podcasts of mine and preparation for other shows, unfortunately, I haven't really watched as much new as I'd like. Uh, I'm only on 12 for the year, which is very disappointing, but... Um, let's see, one that I'll talk about that we didn't talk about on Fresh Cuts is a movie called The Night. This is a film out of India, I believe. Um, it is a kind of a supernatural, kind of haunted house, but really, um, hard to, hard to really pinpoint, uh, a genre on this one. I mean, I, most people would probably say thriller. I mean, there is elements of ghosts and hauntings and um, elements of like hallucinations and potentially um, unreliable narrators. So, uh, but, but it's, it's a very well made movie, um, you know, especially, you know, lower budget from India um, here. Let me look this up before I keep saying India, because I'm only like 95% sure, but um, I watched it. uh what, like last week sometime, thinking that we might do it for Fresh Cuts, but we ended up uh, deciding, um, I'm sorry, Iran, not India, Iran. Um, I knew it started with an I. But anyway, this is a uh, kind of a psychological thriller, like I said, with supernatural elements, um, some elements of like, you know, past um events coming back to haunt this couple it's a basically it's a couple with one child a newborn actually uh they leave a party but the husband is a little too drunk to make it all the way home because they're like they're like an hour away from their house they decide to go to a local hotel they stay at the hotel but as soon as they get there you know all sorts of crazy things are happening the desk clerk is like the only employee in the whole hotel and he basically does everything every time they need something he just kind of appears and then the movie just kind of goes along from there it's a very very slow paced film it is it is painfully slow um, anyone who knows me knows I love my slow burns, but this one is a slow burn to not much of a payoff at the end. You get, you get one of those, um, kind of head scratching endings, very ambiguous. Um, it's almost left on a cliffhanger kind of, I mean, the movie doesn't really end so much as it stops, you know, the movie just kind of, you know, goes to credits and I'm sitting there like, what the hell? Maybe I lost something in translation because obviously uh, it's in uh, foreign language. So I'm watching it subtitled. But man, uh, th this was definitely a slower film. So I, I would definitely still recommend it to fans of, you know, the high art cinema. Um, like I said, the movie is very well made. The performances are really good. It's got a decent soundtrack. Not really much for effects, because like I said, it's more of a thriller than a you know balls to the walls horror film. Um, but I would give it a mild recommend to people who enjoy character studies, uh, dialogue-driven psychological thrillers. Uh, I would probably say would get a little bit of a kick out of this one. But yeah, that is the night. It is actually a brand new film. It's labeled 2020, but it was released in America at the beginning of February um, on VOD. So check it out if you get a chance. Nice. Sounds interesting. 
Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. I said, I wanted I wanted to like it so much more because yeah, you guys know how much I love foreign horror, but it, it's just so dreadfully slow. And it, it, you know, it's it, it's still a very well acted movie. So it's not like I was ever necessarily bored. I was still invested in the story, but it's just I, I think most American horror fans, especially modern horror fans, probably wouldn't even finish the film. They'd probably get about forty minutes in and just kind of give up. Um, does it have musical numbers? Oh, wait, you said it's from Iran. Nothing that fun. <laughs> oh, oh, you said it was from Iran too, because oh, yeah, you first yeah. said it was from India. Yeah, for some reason I thought it was from India. I think somebody had told me that, but um, yeah, now that I look at it, it is a uh, a U.S. and Iranian co-production. So, um, and the movie is in Iranian, uh, whatever language it is that they speak. But yeah. Um, I, you know, like I said, it, it, it's it's technically a, a fine movie. Um, you know, it's got some it's got some cool little set pieces in there that are obviously very slow. Um, not really a lot of jump scares, which is nice. But like I said, just probably a little too slow for the modern horror fan. So I would say, uh, you know, check it out with uh, a grain of salt. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I uh, I like the synopsis too, and then you told me about it because I think wasn't that in the running for Fresh Cuts before we switched? It actually was going to be a Fresh Cuts movie, and after I watched it, we just kind of d- d- decided to go a different path. <laughs> yeah, we we don't often make executive calls like that, but once in a while, like the first one of us that sees something, if it's if it's just you know kind of below the standard, not standard as in if it's good or not, just. You know, if it's something we don't think we'll have a good conversation about. Yeah, that's but. the thing. That the conversation that would have come up from this movie wouldn't have been fun or, you know, at all. Um, cinephiles might have enjoyed it, but, I mean, just your basic horror fan, you know, not so much. So, yeah, we ended up making the executive decision and going with uh, Hunted, which ended up actually being a pretty fun movie, if not cliche and not original at all, but still fairly fun. I, I think it made for a better show than the night would have, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. No. Yeah. All right, Derek. What do you got? Not much. Uh, I haven't really been watching a lot of movies lately, uh, to be honest with you guys. But I did check out a few uh, that I tried to sneak in when you know I wasn't busy, and one that I checked out. That I've been wanting to check out since I've ever seen this amazing poster art that I'm looking at. is a film I think was released this year. Uh, Seder. Oh, nice. Oh, nice. Uh, I was actually thinking about suggesting that for the next Fresh Cuts. <laughs> uh, yeah, I haven't seen it yet, but, I, but I, it looks like everything I like in a movie. <laughs> it, it's pretty rad. Uh, if you didn't know, I actually... Uh, this movie's pretty much like a in my wheelhouse. It's very folk horror esque in the sense of it's ecstatic. It's a slow burn. So for listeners out there, you had to go in there expecting that. But I think the payoff is there for this one that keeps it interesting because the thing that hit me entranced and engrossed with this movie even though it has like a slow burn, because it's pretty much following this one guy for most of the movie. It has like this great sound design aesthetic where you hear like 
a mixture of like the music and uh, just the background of like the forest area. And it's kind of in self-inducing and kind of, you, I was kind of getting like a little like a uh, emotional and, you know, like panicky when I was watching the movie because the music and everything surrounded it was so self-inducing. It was like kind of like the experience I had while watching Midsummer in a way where, you know, like stuff was happening that, you know, probably in a normal movie without like the certain music or aesthetic wouldn't work. But for me, it worked. This is like a passion project too. When I heard and learned about the director actually made this movie over like seven years of his life making this movie. Uh, and, uh, I do guys, if you guys did want to check this movie, out, I do recommend you check out, uh, Duncan McLeish's interview with the director of this movie. Uh, oh. yeah, he did an interview and a review for this movie a couple of weeks back. And, uh, I learned, it made me kind of appreciate the movie a lot more because, you know, you get to learn some aspects of like the filmmaking, like, uh, it's bookmarked by actually, I think, uh, he actually recorded like his grandmother and, uh, talking about like, uh, this, uh, ancient spirit known as Seder, and that's actually the inspiration for the movie. It kind of bookmarks the movie in a way, those scenes. Uh, yeah, it's an interesting movie, and it has a great final shot, and I don't want to really... It, it just fucking, like, whoa, because I didn't realize it at first, and then I noticed it, I'm like, what the fuck? You know, it's like one of those type of endings, which always works for slow burn movies. This, the payoff has to be fucking outstanding, and I think this one is. But going, listeners saying that it is a slow burn. It's not going to be for everyone. I can understand that, but I really enjoyed it. Nice. Awesome. Yeah, everything I've heard about it sounds like something that I'll enjoy. Uh, Mark Nato from the Horror Cast gave it a glowing review. So, um, I like I said, I was actually thinking about suggesting it for fresh cuts for next week's episode, because I know this week we have St. Maud on tap. Though, I'm not sure how Mike would feel about doing two slow burns in a row. Because <laughs> St. Maud oh, is, love you know, slow burns. very much the same. Slow burns are perfectly fine with me. It, the thing with slow burns is a lot of times it's just a matter of um, how things play out in the third act. Now, maybe Don, <laughs> since he's kind of, you know, become a third co-host maybe he'll be like rolling his eyes at two slow burns in a row in a <laughs> row but for me I'm, I'm i'm completely fine with it oh yeah um but we'll see but you know all we know for sure is our the uh, upcoming episode but Seder definitely because once i first saw ads for that i was like yes i was like you know this looks like the type of movie i would enjoy um but as far as me and the rotation of what we watched I, I'm kind of in a similar situation. You would think because we haven't recorded in so long that I have all this stuff. But other than what I've been watching for podcasts, I haven't been watching a ton of stuff just due to other things taking up my time. But there's a couple on here. One is uh, Skull the Mask. Uh, it's a Brazilian movie from last year. It's uh, it's a pretty interesting movie. If you if you think uh, Jim Carrey's The Mask, you know, some ancient mask with superpowers uh, or supernatural powers to it when a, the right or wrong person puts it on. And this one, it's, uh, it's a 
serial killer that goes uh well he ends up kind of a serial as he goes looking for revenge for people that have wronged him in certain ways uh this is definitely like a fantasy action horror uh lots of good gore but the movie is kind of a mess um there's it, it's one of those movies where you can watch and appreciate a lot of the ideas they had going for it uh if you like gore there's some good gore in there um that but the, you know the story's a little disjointed the narrative's kind of messy but i would still recommend watching it um brazil you, you know they usually put out pretty interesting intriguing movies so uh skull the mask uh, if it starts making its rounds in America or with American releases, we uh, I would see or look forward to see what other people have to say about it. But have either of you guys seen this? How did you watch it? Uh, no, not yet. Uh, there's uh, a little thing from our friend that uh, <laughs> he he has early access to stuff. I'll say, and uh, sometimes. He's such a good friend that he's like, hey, you get early access too. Now, um, <laughs> but you know what? This this one actually might have an official release here now, though. I don't know. It's because it's it's listed as May 2020, so there's a chance that it's on the streaming service here by now. I know at the time I knew nothing about it. This this is kind of one of the ones where towards the end of 2020 when I was trying to cram stuff. Um, this is one that I didn't have. I like watched it shortly after we did a, a list. I didn't feel too bad because it, it wouldn't have made uh, the list. Well, all right. A, sounds like a great day movie. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Venom, back to you. All right, I'm going to go uh, back a ways, not too much, less than uh, 10 years to be exact. Um, for those who don't know, on one of my other shows recently, In the Mike of Madness, we actually did a little tribute to Stephen Kostansky, uh, one of the one of the guys from Astron Six. We did feature reviews on The Void and, of course, his new film Psycho Goreman. Um, and I wanted to do a little bit more research on some of the Astron Six stuff uh, that Stephen has been involved with. So I went back and watched some of the older stuff, like Man Borg. And then the one that I want to talk about right now is from 2011. It is called Father's Day. This is actually a trauma film. Uh, it was released by Troma, and uh, we, have, we have a great cameo from um, Lloyd Kaufman from Troma as God. Yes, Lloyd plays God in Father's Day, which is actually pretty fucking perfect. Um if you guys know anything about Astron 6, you know that they're all special effects makeup artists. They, you know, they live on practical effects and, and lots of gore and blood and everything else. And Father's Day is just a perfect example of that. Um, there is a little tiny bit of CG in here that looks bad, but it's meant to look bad. I mean, this, the it, it's very... It, it's very obviously a purposeful choice on their part to make the CG look the way it did because it was a lot of green screen stuff, uh, shit like that. So, But it's basically the story of a serial killer who is going around killing fathers, um, <laughs> basically killing adult men, not just killing them, but raping them and uh, literally <laughs> raping them quite violently to the point where we have to actually watch a couple of the rapes on film. Um, and then pretty much just decimates the body, pretty much dismembers them, you know, just goes completely crazy on the body. 
uh, the opening scene of the film is the serial killer basically doing his thing and having a little bit too much fun with some of the dismembered body parts that are, you know, thrown all over his uh, room, whatever, wherever he is. So, um, like I said, if you're a gore hound, if you're a fan of just completely wacky, over-the-top stuff, a lot like trauma, but... Maybe a little bit more on the comedy side with uh, with this stuff and a lot of the Astron uh, Six uh, releases, like I said. So yeah, 2011 Father's Day. This movie is actually currently available on Amazon Prime for free. If you've got a Prime account, check it out. I highly recommend it. This is not. I'm not going to sit here and say this is a quote unquote good movie. For tra- for hardcore trauma fans, you know what I you know what I mean when I say it's a good trauma film, and that's exactly what this is. This is actually a great trauma film, uh, with some awesome effects, some great comedy, pretty decent little score. I mean, nothing, no licensed music, but you know, just uh, some cool like rock and you know hard rock stuff uh, that they created for the movie. But yeah. I absolutely love this film. If, if like I said, if, if uh, gore and you know over the top violence is a guilty pleasure of yours, by all means seek this one out. This is Father's Day, and like I said, Amazon Prime, go watch it. Yeah, you know, that was actually the other one on my list, <laughs> Psycho Gorman. Oh yeah, it's, hey, well there you go. We can do a Stephen Kostansky. What we've been watching. Yeah, it's funny, it's gory, and I enjoyed it. I just don't think I enjoy it as much as some people. Like, it's not like a 9 or a 10 or anything. Oh, it's definitely a fucking 10, man, because that's what I have it, because I was in my other movie, too. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, yeah, a lot of people do think it ranks that high, and I understand, because I don't really disagree with much of the praise, because I enjoyed the movie, too. But, uh, Derek... Why don't you tell us about your thoughts on Psycho Goreman? I loved it. It's a love letter to the movies that we used to watch as kids that no one fucking stopped us from watching. Mm-hmm. That's what Stu <laughs> wanted to put out. Like, he put a mixture of The Giver, Power Rangers. There's even some Terminator 2 references. I I just find it funny that they have Psycho Gorman dressed as Sam Neill from Jurassic Park through half the movie. <laughs> The same outfit and everything. It's hilarious. It's, uh, it's. It, I can see why people wouldn't like it as much as I would. I'm not saying that it's a perfect movie. I don't rate movies on like. I rate it on the way I experienced the movie and it entertained me. Sure. It impacted me in a way where like, you know, it's just it was just a fun fucking movie with nothing wrong with it in my opinion. I didn't think. It, it played with it. I love Colin Sweeney as that uh, alien overlord at the, he's, you know, at the end. <laughs> yep. He's like, you know, he's like, oh, he, one of the astronauts. A few of the astronaut six guys are in this movie. Adam yeah. Brooks plays the dad. I think he's hilarious in the movie. He's fucking cracking the <laughs> fuck up. Uh, you know, the little girls, they act like kids would. You know, it's the way that they are. And the, the, that was the whole point of this. supposed to be hateable but they end up bounding as a family at the end it's kind of like an r-rated family movie and i like it for that yeah i i think i'm closer to mike on my opinion of it um i love all the horror elements i love all the creatures all the creature design uh the score is great the gore is amazing obviously it's astron six so of course it's going to be great 
The problem that I had is the same problem that I have with almost all kaiju films, and it's the human element. I hated that family. I'm sorry. I hated that fucking family. Mimi is a sociopath. Well, I said this, well, the I said point this is with you're great supposed to detail. hate that family. Well, yeah, yeah. Um, but that's the thing. In my opinion, they, they don't have a redemption moment. I, I don't understand why I'm supposed to like this family at the end of the movie. And then the, the, the decision that Psycho Gorman makes about the family's fate just felt so out of character for him that, it, it, I don't know, it's kind of weird. It sounds like I didn't like the movie, I know, but I, I legitimately loved it. It's just every time there was a scene with just the family members in it, no Psycho Gorman, no other creatures involved, I, I just... It was cringeworthy. I mean, I, I'm sorry, but Mimi, Mimi is an absolute sociopath. She is 100 percent gonna grow up to be a serial killer. Wait, and I love it fucking for that. Doubt. And I What's love that? it for that. I love it for that. I love. And, that and that's the thing. I, mean, I know killer. it's an over-the-top movie. It's not meant to be taken seriously. But I mean, you guys know the way I am. I, I try to look objectively at all films, and if we're talking about just sheer enjoyment level. I loved, like I said, I loved all the creatures. I loved all the gore. I loved all the violence. I hated that family. And it just, every time, like, the dad and the mom would have a conversation about him being lazy, I'm just sitting there cringing on the couch, like, why am I watching this? Um, so, yeah, it, it's one of those things that I still gave the movie a very high score on a 10-point scale. Um, but I, I just, I couldn't possibly give it a 10 out of 10 because my personal enjoyment level, I was just getting frustrated constantly with that family. Uh, the little, the, the, the bitch, little boy, the sociopathic little girl, the <laughs> lethargic dumbass father, and then <laughs> bearing domineering mother. It just, it, I, I don't know. I wanted to like this movie so much more because uh, their last movie, The uh, the Void, was my number one movie of 2017. Nothing even came close. But that's and like apples and oranges, man. Knows me knows how much I love uh, Lovecraftian horror. The Void being a loose adaptation of my favorite Lovecraft story at the Mountains of Madness. It, it was tailor-made to be my number one movie that year. On top of the fact that the effects were great, the gore was great, you know, I had no major problems with the characterizations, blah, blah, blah. So maybe maybe expectations were a little high for me on Psycho Goreman. Like, I, because of The Void, because The Void had no comedy whatsoever, it was a straight, very straight, um, you know, horror film. I think I might have expected a little bit more of that with Psycho Goreman. And again, I don't watch trailers. If I would have watched the PG trailer, I would have been a little bit more prepared for what I was getting. But, you know, so I, I'm just going to leave it at great movie with some, um, I don't know, some uh, problems that could have been dealt with a little bit better. But otherwise, still a great movie. Well, you know that The Void wasn't his last movie, right? Before this, uh, one, right? well, yeah, 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 that's right. Um, he did Leprechaun Returns after Leprechaun, that. Leprechaun, right, right. I, I, I tend to, I tend to ignore that movie. <laughs> oh, it's all, why? That movie's awesome. Yeah, it's good. It's definitely better than most of the Leprechauns that came before it. But again, it, it's one of those things when you, when you give me a movie like The Void, it's almost like you become a Scorsese type, and I expect all your films to be absolute classics. And 
I, I guess I'm just I'm doing it to myself. Ultimately, I'm hurting myself with my expectations. Yeah, you 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 compare apples and oranges though, because the boys like I, the most serious movie. You know, you're absolutely <laughs> right. Like, that, that's that's kind of the way I watch films, especially when I'm watching them for a podcast. I try to be objective. I you know, I, obviously, I'm not comparing everything to The Godfather, but at the same time, I you know, I want to give every movie. Uh, a fair chance and I want, you know, which is part of the reason why I don't watch trailers. I don't read synopses, you know, before I watch the film, I try to go in as absolutely blind as possible. Um, and that's because of expectations because I don't like doing expectations. I hate, you know, when expectations ruin my enjoyment of a film. And I think that may be what happened with psycho Gorman. Um, you know, I just wasn't expecting, Astron Six to go back to the you know uh, to go back to kind of their horror comedy past because they did such a great job with the Void. I thought that they were maybe going to start doing more serious fare consistently. Nothing against Psycho Goreman. It's like I said, it's a great movie. It has its audience. I was in the minority on In the Mike of Madness. Uh, Becca and Brad both gave it ten out of tens, and and that's fine. Um, but yeah, for me, just. I, I wish there was a little bit more uh, better characterizations with the family. Maybe don't make them such uh, caricatures. You know what I mean? But, and again, I have to caveat all of that by saying yet again, I know it's an over the top horror comedy. Nothing about the movie is supposed to be taken seriously. I understand that, but you know, it's just the way I watch films. Unfortunately, I'm going to I'm going to grade, you know, um, Psycho Goreman the same way I grade St. Maud, even though it's ap- just like um, Derek said, it's apples and oranges. But, you know, they're both horror films released in 2020. I have to be as objective as possible. And there it is. So, yeah, if you can't have any to, hate me, for me, hit me up. Just can't wait <laughs> till we review the Evil Dead remake. Oh, my God. I have been oh. I have been championing that movie. That movie is in my top five for the decade, for the entire 2010s. I love that movie with a fiery passion. Every uh. single second of that movie put a smile on my face. And that ending, holy shit. Now listen, I understand that a lot of people don't like that movie because it's not like the original. And that's fine. I understand that. It, you know, to each his own. But for me, the Evil Dead remake worked on every possible level. Loved it. I, I mean, I, I went back and saw it again the same day. I saw it opening night. I loved it so much. I went right back in line and watched it again. I fucking, and I rarely do that. I can count on one hand the amount of times I've done that in my life. But the Evil Dead remake 2013 is the last time I did. Yeah, like I said, I know I'm in the minority there. Uh, yeah, <laughs> well, I don't, I don't. Evil I Dead retrospective, dis- I would probably make some enemies. <laughs> That's why you. I mean, should. I don't, I don't dislike it. I just don't. It's not like I'm not it's, crazy over like head over heels for it, but I don't think it's bad by any means. I just have issues with it, but you know, I'll save that for if we actually ever tackle sure. it. Um, what else the hell do I have? You have nothing because you like it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, like originally, see, here's the thing: it's another case of the the show's been pushed a couple times. So, like, some of the stuff I originally had on my list goes all the way back to when 
I was prepping for list of taught me vampire films. So like I had a couple, like I had Vampire Circus on there and Innocent Blood as movies I watched. So I guess I could still count those since it was after we recorded our. Oh, you want to Vampire Circus? I love. Yeah, it's pretty great. Do you want me to talk about a shitty movie I watched? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, please. The new Neil Marshall movie. Oh Uh, no! Really? Oh! Oh no! I was so excited for that movie. It's 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 not. You might still enjoy it. it it's just oh, the actress in it's fucking awful. What's the name of it? Reckoning. Reckoning. Oh, okay. See, that's an interesting one because the first person I heard or saw say anything about it was Mark Nato, and he seemed to like it. But yep. then I heard from another couple of people that I I don't I don't hundred percent always agree with what they have to say, but I take their opinions pretty highly just because of other stuff they like and they're like, Oh man, it's awful and I was like, Shit <laughs> I'm like, damn it. Um I'll probably so you know, I'm still gonna end up watching it just because but it it, it was one that I know a lot of people were looking forward to and Ah, man. I was excited for... Maybe that's, like, my Psycho Gorman for this year, too. Like, <laughs> like this lady's getting beat up, but she doesn't look beat up for most of the movie. It looks like she has a glamour shot after she gets, like, tortured. And I'm like, what? Why don't you look like you're fucking half your face is mauled off by now? It's so weird. Like, this lady doesn't look like she's in pain at all. It's just the worst... Oh... I don't know. I I have a lot of problems. It, it it has a good setting and kind of a cool aesthetic. It's just no one's trying. It doesn't feel like that time period. It should be a lot more grueling and aesthetic. And the story is kind of generic. It's pretty much just a generic witchfinder general. I've seen the story done better. You know, I I would just want to watch those movies instead. <laughs> Why not? It, it's all right. I didn't love it. Yeah, oh. I'll I'll probably check it out in the next couple of days, regardless, and and see. But yeah, that sucks. Oh, yeah. It's 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 always unfortunate when something you're looking forward to or that looks, uh, you know, like it would be right up your alley, and then it ends up being disappointing. But it was just generic. It was bland. Yeah, it sucks. Alright. Um, yeah, that's really... I I was going to talk about Clarice, but I didn't have time to watch it. The first episode, but... <laughs> uh man. Well, it's funny, because I was going to watch it today, and then I was like, you know, I'm going to throw the White Reindeer on again, just in case, because it's been a while since I watched it. <laughs> uh, um... All right. Well, Venom, is there anything else you want to throw in before we? Um, nothing on? that we haven't already talked about on Fresh Cuts or are going to talk about. So uh, not okay. really much. I, well, I got one more. Uh, I also watched the little things on HBO Max. There was that new Denzel watch. It's kind of more like a mystery thriller. Uh huh. You know, Rami Malek and Denzel Washington trying to find a serial killer. Yeah, I liked it. But the ending kind of left me scratching my head. I think the ending kind of made the movie like 
Like, why did I watch the slow burn thriller? <laughs> you know, like, yep. what the fuck? Uh, kind of and I'm sorry, Jared Jared Leto. I mean, I've heard people praise his acting. I've yet to see him act even competently in a movie. And granted, I haven't seen everything he's done. Um, I know there was that. Uh, didn't he do the, uh, what was that Dallas movie? Dallas Buyers Club. Which one? The one where he won the Oscar? Yes. Dallas Buyers Club. Okay, yeah. See, I haven't seen that. So, in his defense. But anything I've seen of him... I'm usually very, very unimpressed. I was not happy that it's announced that he's going to be Morbius, but I'm, you know, I'm still going to see it. You know, I love Morbius, the living vampire, one of my favorite uh, old Marvel comics, but uh, I'm not excited that Leto's doing it, but we'll see. Uh, He's kind of hit hit or miss for me personally. I like him in some roles better than others. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I thought he was the worst part of the little things, honestly. Um, and not to say that it was like unbearably bad by any stretch, but I mean, this is a pretty good movie with a, a stellar cast and I don't know. And then there's Leto phoning in his performance again. It, I don't know. It do- just doesn't work for me. He should have stayed with music. <laughs> yeah. Should have went back to urban legend. Oh God. <laughs> I thought he was good in Requiem for a Dream, but playing a strong oh, out yeah, 20 something. Yeah, playing a strung out guy in his 20s was probably not too you know probably <laughs> half accurate at the time so yeah not necessarily saying he was a heroin addict or anything like that but you know he probably you know if you're young and in hollywood you probably have a uh, plenty of inspiration to draw your character from <laughs> with people around you you know so yeah i i haven't seen that but i'll i don't know i'll probably get around to it eh. Don't make it a high priority. <laughs> I think I, I'm just glad I didn't pay to go to the theater to see it. <laughs> exactly. With that kind of cast, yeah, I think that movie would have had a really good opening weekend and there would have been a lot of disappointed moviegoers. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, we will move on then right into some news. Another case of wow. When was when were we supposed to record this show? My first news item that I really don't need to even bring up at all. Hey, did you guys know that Joe Bob is doing a Valentine's Day special on February twelfth? Fire. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. So I saw like very little of it because oh, we were busy Friday night recording. Yep. I kind of had it on in the background for a little bit, but I was like, yeah, I'll just throw it off. So I'll have to watch watch that one. In the archives, Friday the 13th, yes, this is another old one. Friday the 13th, embroiled in another lawsuit, you know, the never-ending saga of... Oh, here we go. Yeah, Let me get- who gets the rights? Who's going to make the Friday the 13th? Do we even need a Friday the 13th? Who cares? Okay. Oh, you forgot about the breaking news. Robert England is playing Freddy Cougar, and he got the rights to Friday the 13th. <laughs> Friday the 13th. Yeah, really, a, a whole episode with no Robert England news? What the fuck? Yeah. Um, Netflix Skull Island animated series that also broke like three weeks ago Um, that was an original one excited yeah Yeah, I mean I think that's a good kind of that's a good uh, format for 
you know, to put out like mass amounts of Skull Island stuff, animators. And I believe uh, people that worked on the Castlevania series are working on this. So uh, I'm looking forward to it. I also think it'd be kind of, you know, that'd be almost like a good way to get kids into like the monster monster movie franchises. Um, well, honestly, see. most of In the, this most week's of the it, giant uh, monster movies are already fairly kid friendly. I mean, it's not like Skull oh, yeah, Island. Oh yeah, oh yeah. A couple I, people getting squished, but I, I would mean, say more. Yeah, not not so much based on like um, content deemed too graphic for them. More so, just like if if uh, they weren't if they weren't familiar with Godzilla, and, I would say something for like my kids. My kids aren't real movie movie watchers yet so like if they watch something like the squad on animated series and like that's what got them familiar with the monsters and then and then i was well, like hey the, there's actually with these guys in there and then they would go well it depends on how violent this actual anime is because it's actually part of the monster verse this one legendary is actually producing this one uh, yeah so it might actually have people getting killed by animals. <laughs> so you never know. Cause, you yeah, know, the anime might actually be more violent than any of the live-action movies. <laughs> I mean, I would have no problem showing any of the legend, uh, any of the legendary kaiju movies. I would have no problem showing a kid right now. I mean, there's no... Yeah, no I wouldn't either. Or, I mean, you know... Um, well, yeah, I, I, took, I took... Maybe Skull I took Island. Skull Island might be the one that I might not, because... I might wait a few because you know, like that scene where Kong's just ripping people apart with his teeth is kind of intense. Uh, what year did Skull Island come out again? Uh, sixteen, maybe twenty sixteen or seventeen. Sixteen or yeah, that sounds about right. So Around that, that time. Means, so that means because I took my daughter to the drive-in to see it, so she had to have been about five, six. So <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I don't care. It, like that kind of violence and stuff. It's almost like cartoonishly over-the-top fun, so... Yeah, exactly. You know, if, if she would have had a, a bad reaction to it, I'd be like, okay, I gotta cut this out for now, but she she enjoyed it. No, I know she what you fun. mean. She I, was sick. She was probably half paying attention. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was just saying I might have to test them to see if they could handle it. You know what I mean? Sure, sure. Oh, for sure. Um, Alright, and uh, this week's Is It News or Is It Just Clickbait... John Carpenter's supposedly working on things. So that's like a big headline that, you know, oh, I, I yeah, sure, I, I could be making another movie, um, but I'm not going to say for sure that I am, but every horror website ever is using this to say, oh, John Carpenter might be making another movie. I mean, maybe he will, but, you know, while we wait till there's like an actual announcement before everyone's copying and pasting this headline as if like he made some definitive statement. There's also the one with, I was going to say, compare that to the one with Cronenberg too. Cause uh, wasn't it Viggo Mortensen that said, Oh yeah. Cronenberg is working on something like a script or something. And it's like classic old school Cronenberg. And then like, that was the end of the quote. I'm like, well, like is he just dabbling or is he like really planning on making a movie or what? It's like such you know, such little information, but enough to put headlines out, I guess. I mean, yeah, the, the, there is no information. That's the point. It's just Vigo relaying information he got from a personal conversation he had with Cronenberg. Uh, you know, I mean, ultimately, creative types are probably always creating. Just because Carpenter hasn't made a movie in 
however many years doesn't mean he's not still writing. He's obviously still making music. I mean, he, he put out another album in 2020. So, I mean, the man is busy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As far as movies go, yeah, they, see, this is the kind of news that isn't news to me. It's like, you know, what's the point? Yeah. Um, the whole thing with uh, Stephen King and Friday the 13th from a few months back, it's like, Jesus, you, you took one quote from Stephen King and turned it into Stephen King regrets never getting to make a Friday the 13th movie. It's like, no, it's not what he fucking said. So, you know, news like this is barely news. I understand why we talk about it. Don't get me wrong. It's just, uh, you know, I, I laugh at it more than anything. Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of like, like casting news. Casting news does nothing for me. I don't care until I get to see the movie. I don't want to start prejudging people. And when you start, you know, uh, announcing the cast fucking years before principal filming even starts, it's like, uh, I don't know. It's like, what's the point? You're just trying to build um, some kind of notoriety for the film, but we we know, cinephiles know that just because a movie has a great cast and a great director or whatever doesn't mean it's going to be a great fucking movie. Yeah, yeah. And that's why, yeah, that's why casting news and like, oh, this director's interested in doing this project, like, those things do nothing for me. Uh, I don't even click on those kind of links usually. <laughs> yeah, it's like when uh, like Lords of Salem was coming out, and you know Rob Zombie kept posting, casting this person, casting that person, yeah. this person, and half those people got cut out of the fucking movie. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, we were getting that with the Halloween movies recently, with you know, oh Jamie Lee Curtis is back, oh Judy Greer is going to be in it, oh this person's going to be in it. And then there's, you know, and just like with uh, that movie that you mentioned just now, yeah, uh, uh, casting announcements are made, and then that scene gets cut, and then suddenly it's like, well, what happened to that person that you announced a year ago was going to be I was excited to be in it. You know, like, Barbara Crampton has, like, five seconds in the movie. (laughs) Like, like, what the fuck? She's, like, one of the better actors in the movie. Why did you cut her? (laughs) There you go. Well, uh, fun. You should bring Halloween up because that's one of the actual. Oh my god! I was able to write down, <laughs> and this no one this was almost kind of funny, but not. But uh, I, and I think John Carpenter is the one that's quoted in it too, which he really has nothing to do with like how it gets released. But for some reason, he was the one quoted in the article saying, "What what's the next one? Halloween Kills? Is it?" He's like, "Oh yeah, we might we might end up having to release it on VOD anyway." which would be almost funny and frustrating at the same time that they pushed it back the whole year and still might not. And it's funny because I already, not specifically about Halloween kills, but I was just already thinking in general, cause I was like, look guys, there's, there's spring movies that were either pushed to spring 2021 or original release date in spring 2021 that have already been pushed back to the fall because they're like hey we see the light at the end of the tunnel with all this pandemic stuff but it's not here yet so i'm like yeah they're gonna have to like i have a feeling that like there might be a point because do you really think they're they would push a lot of this stuff another year or do you think okay they're just gonna give in and say okay vod if we get to summer and it's not it depends on what they have i would imagine it would depend on what they have in the can already because if if they haven't been filming at the regular schedule that they normally would, then they just they, there's not going to be enough stuff to put out after all that stuff. That's why A Quiet Place and Candyman and movies like that have been held back because it's like, um, 
once once you put out all of that stuff that was supposed to come out in 2020, then what are you going to release? Nothing was filmed in 2020, or at least very little was filmed during 2020. Yeah, barely so, anything. That's what I mean. So it's like, why release all this stuff now just so that it gets you know forgotten in the mix? I'm honestly, I I, I never ever bitch about these uh, movies getting postponed or pushed back or whatever because it's like there's always good content out there. We, you know, we, we are fans of a genre that's constantly getting new releases. Yes, 90% of them are probably independent, but it doesn't mean that they're bad. There's going to be a lot of quality stuff out there and foreign, too. I mean, if, if people are lamenting the American cinema, you know, and the state of the American cinema right now, then look to other countries. There's so much great foreign film that Americans don't want to watch because they can't stand reading subtitles. It's, it's, so, it's so disheartening to, you know, especially to hear like the younger generation to talk, talk about, Oh, I don't want to read. I want to watch a movie. It's like, God damn it. <laughs> but anyway, point, my original point was, um, I don't care too much about movies getting postponed because I know other great movies are also going to be out on top of the fact that if they were to have put out Halloween kills last year, we'd have to be waiting, what, two or three years until Halloween ends. So, uh, you know, you got to think about that, too. You don't want to have stuff out um, too far apart, especially when they're direct sequels, like, you know, the current Halloween trilogy is. I still can't believe it's still called Halloween Kills. Oh, it's terrible. Both of them. Halloween Kills and Halloween Ends. I I, I can't stand either of those titles. call it Halloween Returns. I don't Anything. know. Just yeah, just give it whatever just, random. Just call it H two. Fuck it. I mean, I mean, Halloween H2. ends. <laughs> ha- Halloween ends sounds dumb, but at least okay. If if you're calling it that because it's the final one in this, it's never gonna end, Mike. Come on. Well, no, this. no, it's never, it's never gonna fully end. But it, if you <laughs> if you look at it kind of like Batman, where it's like okay, you have this era of it, then this. So if they're saying, well, this is the last one like this team is going to be involved in. Okay, fine. But Halloween kills. Like, I don't understand what the purpose of that subtitle. Well, I don't even think it's a subtitle. It's just the title. I don't, why? What? Because how the hell this, the the holiday Halloween kills. (laughs) I guess. I mean, those movies are like killing my spirit and slash my slasher spirit. That's what, (laughs) that's what they're doing. But, um, Let's see. Okay. <laughs> Another more modern news. Uh, HBO Max in the news a lot lately. I guess this one's like loosely based on horror. If you consider like Scooby-Doo, Kids Gateway Horror, they're developing a Velma show like about Velma and her backstory. But it's listed as like an adult series, like not adult as in like erotic, like thriller or anything like that, but just like... I, I like I don't even understand what they mean by that because I'm like, well, Velma is from like like a kid's Scooby Doo cartoon unless it's like gonna be totally like crazy. Oh, like, oh my god, I know what it's gonna be about. It's gonna be well, Linda Cardinelli Velma naked. Oh yuck! No. <laughs> yes. Is that the uh, she the one that did it in the live action? Oh, the live movies? action. Maybe. And then she was in Grandma's Boy too. Yeah, yeah, she was. She, yeah, I, I like She's her. She's cute. Yeah, I would fuck the shit out of her. I won't lie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, I'm not sure. Like, I don't know I, if they're the way facing it sounds it like it's gonna be. Or... Uh, it sounds like it's gonna be kind of like Daria, or it could be kind of like um, uh, the uh, Sabrina, the teenage witch. When they brought that back, they brought it That's back. Was it was darker, right? I was thinking that, but at least like that was basing it off because that the Sabrina comic book series. I don't even know if it, maybe there is like a Velma solo book series or comic series that I just don't know of. That's like a little more like risque, but I just found it interesting. Like I'm not opposed to the idea or anything. I just thought it was interesting. I guess they're not doing a Scooby-Doo show. They call it an adult program. And I think you're taking that term a little bit too much to heart. It doesn't necessarily mean that there's going to be like ultra nudity and violence and gore. I think, I think it's just that the themes are going to be a little bit more adult than the standard Scooby-Doo fare. That's, you know that's what I mean? What, that's so why I was comparing actually, it to Daria. You know, what's that? That's why I was thinking of more like a Dar. If it's like an animated, like maybe like Daria style show, which is kind of more adult. No, yeah, I mean, no, I mean, I didn't adult I, with its themes. You know, with uh, even though it's about kids growing up, I mean, they talk about sexuality and depression and suicide and things like that, teen pregnancy. So I mean, there's there's actual topics there that they cover. So I think that's what they. Uh, where they get the adult thing from. Um, so that's probably what I would anticipate. From yeah, that. yeah. I mean, I definitely wasn't thinking like, oh, well, Velma, before she she joined the Scooby-Doo mystery. She was a naughty ex-nun. Yeah, she was a stripper. <laughs> she was a stripper, and the glasses are just a gimmick as part of her character. Um, <laughs> I, I'm just more like, well, okay, who... If, if, she's, if the character is based, you know from the Scooby-Doo it's like, well, who is, who is the target audience for a Velma show? Uh, but there's, we don't know enough about it yet, I guess, to like even figure that it's out. It's the WB crowd, I would imagine. <laughs> WB with, with curse words allowed. Hard, yeah. hard, hardcore Velma fans. God, like, <laughs> that could get Honestly, dark. Honestly, I love Velma, but I have no interest in that show at all. I, I check it. Watch it be like a hit though. Watch I'll watch the first episode and give it a chance, but I mean, I just, I, I'm not the biggest fan of Scooby-Doo in general. I like it, but... Maybe it'll be like, a, you know, almost like a Nancy Drew type show or something where it's like... Oh, it would her, have to be, yeah. That's her solving mysteries just by herself without the crew from scooby And then she finger-blasses herself. <laughs> <laughs> that would take a turn if, if like... <laughs> Like the, uh, she was like Meg Griffin, like with a pack of hot dogs. I'm gonna ride you like the New York Knicks. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and the last news item I have: um, the season two of Shutter's Creep Show when it airs, coming soon. I think. It's going to be missing an episode. Oh, I knew this was fucking coming. Mm-hmm. Why is it going to be missing an episode? Because that episode starred the one and only Marilyn Manson. So, here's the thing. <laughs> What's your guys' take? Like, I I don't want to get so much in Like, I don't want to, you know, debate the merits of the accusations and get, I don't want to take it that route because that's a that's really a discussion for another type of show. My decision or my question is more like if if you were like in Shutter's position, do you are you what do you think of them just saying okay, we're just completely not airing the episode? 
Well, what's your I mean, thought? that's a business decision. Ultimately. Yeah, it is. It's got nothing to do with, you know, a creative, you know, uh, being creative or, you know, having as many episodes out as possible or whatever the case may be. It's it's flat out dollars. Shutter will lose advertising dollars if they air that episode. There's enough people out there in, you know, the, the court of public opinion where as soon as an accusation is made, that person is labeled guilty, period. Doesn't even matter. And as soon as that happens, and, and we had the same thing just a couple of days ago with The Mandalorian and, you know, Gina Carano got fired. So yeah. it's kind of the same thing. It's like it's that knee jerk reaction to accu with Gina Carano. It's a little bit different because this was all out in public. These were tweets and posts that she had made. So that's a little bit different with Marilyn Manson. It's you know, it's allegations and it's allegations from multiple women. So I understand there's probably some truth to it, but. Well, and now we Last have checked, witnesses too, and that's fine. Again, um, but the last I checked, we live in America, and we live under a system that uh, kind of lives by innocent until proven guilty. And I know in the court of public opinion that isn't the case, but that's the way it's supposed to be. Accused of something, they're supposed to be given the opportunity to defend themselves either in a court of their peers. Um, you know, or or in public, whatever the case may be. Obviously, most most celebrities don't want to engage with those kind of accusations. Yeah. Um, either they'll just they'll either deny them right away or just won't engage. Like you know, um, Chris Hardwick a couple of years ago, where he just didn't even want to um, give it any merit by an- by answering the accusation, even though everyone who knows Chris Hardwick uh, knew that it was a false a- accusation, and it turned out it was so. Um, and you know, because people lie, men and women alike, I, I don't condemn people as soon as they're accused. I just don't. Um, but I also understand Shudder and Disney's position in, you know, either letting certain people go or not airing certain content because they're going to lose advertisers. And that's it. As simple as that. It's money. And don't think we won't be able to see that episode. It will be available. Someone will, someone will leak it. We'll see it. We just won't see it on Shutter. That's all. Yeah. Just like that episode of Masters of Horror that Showtime wouldn't air. We all still got to see it eventually. Uh, you know, the the Mike episode. Yeah, we might not see it this year, but we might see it down the line. Type yeah, exactly. deal. You know, after like it all cools down. Maybe That's even on the it. physical. Maybe when they release the physical copy, maybe it'll be on there as a special feature or something. Maybe. Maybe. It depends on yeah. when it comes out and shit. Yeah, exactly. I feel. I, I Especially wish, I wish yeah, I knew. You know. Go ahead. I was going to say, I, I, I wish I knew how big of a part he played in the actual episode because the, the way I kind of look at it is like, is it, 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 I mean, if he's like the main star, then it's kind of hard to like, navigate around that but it's like is it not something you could just cut out because like when i when i hear stories like this i you know there's the whole morality side to it there's the business side to it and then there's what i think is like it's a you know shutters a small company small production how many other people are in this episode that could use the actual because creep show, you know, it's a different cast every time. So it's like who else is in this that, you know, it might be like their first gig or they're in the indie world. And like, this could be, you know, how they get discovered because they were in this random episode of 
creep show. You know, this isn't like these like a huge studio budget where like most of the people are probably moving right on to their next project. So I was trying to look at it more uh, from that angle. Like, man, it would suck if like you know he he just has like a flyby thirty second appearance or you know no. two minute scene or something, and they decide not to air it over that, but. I don't no, no, know. I, I had heard he was actually the focal point of the episode. Oh, okay. So yeah. he, okay. Well, yeah, that kind of makes it a little more difficult than to still. <laughs> yeah, kind of. But even the you thing can't... is, is that even if he only was in a 10 second scene, it doesn't matter. It's still, you know, yes, it's sad. It sucks for everybody else involved. And I've been saying this for years with like film directors that people want to cancel. You know, Victor Salva, most famously, everybody hates Victor Salva, and that's understandable. That's fine, but it, it, when you want to boycott a Victor Salva movie, you're not thinking about the hundreds of other people that work on that film: editors, lighting, sound, actors, script supervisors. I can go on and on with the amount of people that are on set and the amount of people that have that have hands on a particular movie, it's like you want to cancel it because of this one person, but then you could be potentially, you know, uh, damaging someone else's career by doing it. That's why I'm not a big fan of that. I I hate cancel culture. Well, I think it's also different if, if you make the choice to work with those people after the information's out there, as opposed to like, well, you had no idea at the time. It was just another job. And you like, there's nothing about this. Like, because I don't obviously when the the episode was filmed and done by the time any of these accusations came out, so it's not like people knew of this or had even heard the accusations and still made a conscious decision to say I don't care, I'm gonna do it anyway. So that's to me what really sucks. Now, like if you but know some other production company doesn't care and people still decide, then it's kind of like well you're taking that risk. Absolutely, but. Um, I, I had th- this conversation, too, with somebody where, where they were talking about anybody who worked on Jeepers Creepers 3 knows exactly who they were working with. And I my rebuttal to that is, have you ever worked in film? Have you ever worked on a set? Because if you haven't, you would know work isn't just falling in your lap. Like I did sound for the first couple of years uh, when I moved out to California. I did um, sound recording and um, boom mic operator for a couple of little productions here and there that ended up not paying me very well. But the point is, is that when work comes along in Hollywood, you fucking take it. And if there's a chance for me to be the boom operator on Jeepers Creepers 3, I'm going to take it because that's a paying job. And, yes, it sucks that I'm working with a, you know, a, a convicted pedophile, but I, I got I got a family. I got I got to pay my bills. I got to feed my family. If it's wrong for me to feed my family, you know, to work, work with Victor Salva so I can feed my family, well, then I guess I'll just be wrong. I mean – like I said, it's it's easy to yeah. sit in our little chairs here in our house and say that, but when you're actually a set worker, you're union, too. That's the other thing. So you're losing a lot of your work. Uh, excuse me. You're losing a lot of your pay to union dues and shit like that. So it's like when a job comes along that pays well, you're going to take it. And if I'm if I'm a boom mic operator and, you know, my family's starving – 
I don't care if it's a, a Hitler Mengele co-production. I'm gonna fucking be the boom mic operator. I don't Hitler care. Mengele. <laughs> well, yeah. Plus, it, yeah, that's the other thing. It's like where you are in your career and you know financial stabili- stability yeah. is of course gonna play a part because you can see that all the time. It's like a lot of these pop stars that speak out about like the ills of the industry. It's like I don't. I, I I believe they're probably uh, telling a hundred percent the tr- of the truth, but it's like but you do realize you kind of waited until you banked that fifty million dollars and five albums with that record company until you spoke out because if you did this at the beginning of your career, you you were actually going to sacrifice your career, but you're not you're not. Ex- you're not exactly sacrificing the same amount as you would have if you would have spoke out when when you were actually witnessing this, you know, firsthand. And the thing is, like, everyone's everyone's like uh, moral line is different. There is no exact right or wrong. We know what doesn't sit well with us individually, and what we wouldn't, you know don't step over the line for but it's not the same for everyone and mm-hmm. you know as long as you're not uh, I, I try to you know look at it as like from different perspectives so i was just kind of curious what your guys perspective on it on it was too since that episode won't be airing and we all know why it's just mm-hmm. there's usually a lot involved in these things and you know the the problem with uh, the fall because once it hits like social media, the fallout it just becomes toxic really quick. Oh, yeah. Where you, yeah, hear, you hear the same, you hear the same three things said like over and over f- from everybody, including me. Like I get sucked into it sometimes. Where oh, you're, it's like you're, you you're retreat the worst, to your dude. corner. You're, you're terrible. You and Sam in that one fucking post. <laughs> you guys are a toxic fucking waste. No, well, I'm I'm not the worst. I, I'll tell you. You're you're pretty that. bad. Uh, you're you're pretty bad, Mike. <laughs> be my my I'm I'm bad at not stopping. I'm not bad at my arguments, though. I mean, so I can tell you that much. You riddle. So the riddler, we know this. You're like you though. What do you guys I, say about this, Derek? If anything, I don't know. It's just like. It, I like I'm I'm kind of with Venom. I don't like to accuse anything unless I see actual fucking evidence or like a written statement saying that he did it. You know what I mean? I'm kind of like that. I'm, I don't know. I'm just kind of sick of this whole fucking world. <laughs> you know, yeah. I can't enjoy anything now because everyone's getting accused of dying. You know, it's fucking like what the fuck? I you know. Yeah, I, I can't even like. Uh, I was gonna post like I bought a Marilyn Manson CD. I can't do that anymore. I got accused yeah. and fucking attacked. What the oh fuck? man, I got shit when I went to see Jeepers Creepers three in theaters. Remember, it played one night. I went and two female podcasters, both very publicly, gave me a lot of shit. Uh, and you know, it's like I've I've always been the type of person to separate the art from the artist. Okay. I can watch Rosemary's Baby without, you know, having to be, um, without supporting Roman Polanski. Let's let's go with that. I can watch Jeepers Creepers without supporting Victor Salva, mm-hmm. because I understand that there are hundreds of other people that were involved there, and I, I just look at it as I'm supporting them. Um, so, yeah, I've always separated the art from the artist, and like I said, innocent until proven guilty. 
If if they go to court and it's proven that Manson did something, then fine. I'll jump on the hate Marilyn Manson bandwagon as well. But yeah. until until yeah, until solid proof comes out, it's all just conjecture and accusations and people lie. Ultimately people lie. I know we're supposed to believe women and for the most part I do. But I I think I take a personal uh, kind of stake in this because I actually had a friend who was accused of raping a girl. Same he here. Was arrested. He was arrested. He was indicted. Uh, he was about to go to court and supposedly was going to easily be convicted. But bef- a couple of weeks before they went to court, uh, the girl admitted that she lied, that, you know, that he didn't rape her. He didn't even touch her, blah, 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 blah. So the point is people lie. So anytime anybody makes an accusation of any kind, I'm always going to ha- take it with a grain of salt, always. And, but then, like I said, if the proof comes out, I'll be the first one to say, you were right, I was wrong, let's move on. <laughs> and the thing about the whole Victor Salva thing, all these people bitching and complaining, where the fuck were they when Jeepers Creepers went in? Because two came out, because i I, I never seen anybody talk fucking bad shit about those movies until part three came out, like, oh, it's made by a sex offender. No shit, they weren't. You know, like, you know, mm-hmm. like, where the fuck were all these people back then? You know? Yeah, it's true. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I agree. Venom with most, like, principally with pretty much what you're saying. I mean, I, I, I have a hard time with like lumping all accusations in together as the same thing. Cause I do believe like, I like as far as like someone like Manson goes, obviously like, I don't believe he should ever go to jail or anything like that without, you know, a trial and, and all that. But I, I think companies themselves, they probably investigate themselves and if they think there's enough smoke there. They're like, nah, we're not dealing with it. And to, and to further reiterate, like I I understand people's hostility towards quote unquote cancel culture. And I, I know what their point is, but I also think I also don't necessarily agree that someone getting fired from a job is, is enough to like uh, qualify as cancel culture because people get fired all the time for all sorts of different things. It doesn't mean their life's canceled. It doesn't mean they're canceled. They got fired from a job. Now, if they get blacklisted, can never work a day of their life again in the industry, that's that's different. That's like, you know, you're disappeared from everything. But I think sometimes, I think, you know, phrases or terms like cancel culture, it starts as one thing. And now it's pretty much getting applied to like anyone who gets fired for any reason it's like, oh, well, uh, God, they're, they're, here's another person getting canceled. I'm like, no, they're not canceled. Like the Gina Carano thing, she got fired from Star Wars. Not even 24 hours later, new movie deal, new this, that. So I'm like, and she even said herself, now I'm free to speak my mind however I want, blah, blah. So I'm like, so how yeah. exactly did you get canceled? You're not canceled. Like, that's not what canceling means. Uh, it, it, I think I, I think you're taking the word cancel a little bit too literally. I, I, I do believe that that all falls under cancel culture. I mean, you're losing your job because of an opinion you had, not because you did something against somebody. You didn't commit a crime. 
you voiced an opinion. And even though it's an ass-backwards opinion, it's still just an opinion. And you got fired for it. So, yeah, I, I understand your point, Mike, but I also vehemently disagree. <laughs> I, I say it is absolutely still cancel culture. She, she's been well, fired she's canceled from, the from a job show that's, right that's now. All, though. She will never make as much money as she made on two seasons of The Mandalorian. Yeah. To her, that's huge because, you know, she's obviously never going to fight again. It's not like she's going to go back to fighting. She's going to stick with acting. But she, the, the amount of money, the millions of dollars that she cost herself, that to me still falls under cancel culture. Johnny Depp well, getting said- fired. From uh, you know you the cost fantastic. So what if so what if they went to her? So if they, so if you're telling me if they went to her and said stop posting this dumb shit and she was like well posting that dumb shit's more important to me than employment that's can yes. I, I don't find that cancel culture. I don't I don't I, find I, it cancel because I, I if you were, I say it is absolutely I like I said you're taking the word cancel too literally. You're literally thinking that cancel means we never see that person again, that they're gone from the no, public see, eye. See, That's but, not, but but this is where but this is where I disagree. Because when that term first started getting thrown around, they were actually literally just referring to people that like something happened they pretty much disappeared from the face of the earth, not the face of the earth, but like out of the entertainment industry, nothing ever again. I totally agreed with that. I said, for making a mistake, you shouldn't lose an entire career. But then the term cancel culture started broadening to where someone fucks up, they get fired from a job. Oh, they're canceled. No, they're not. To me, when you go to work for a company, you're at the company's mercy. If you don't like that, then we can, look to change laws but right now you're at the mercy of the company you work for it doesn't matter if it's in entertainment or whatnot now the difference is me and you if we tweet something stupid unless like someone really went after us our influence is so low that you know what five people are gonna see it (laughs) but when you have a higher influence and millions of people are gonna see it it's there's a good chance that if you're posting dumb shit, it's going to get back to the company. Now, me personally, even with this argument I'm making, do I think Disney overreacted? Yes, I do. I don't think she should have been fired for a but. All, my only point that I'm making is that, hey, she's at the mercy of her employer. And I guarantee you there's something in her contract that probably is like some type of like clause. Whatever, you know, Every company calls it something different. And... I think she knows damn well that was in the contract and it, if she didn't care because in now she can bank it off into this other career with, you know, the company she's going with now. So I don't feel that it qualifies under, but she's not going to get the same kind of roles after what she said, Mike, she's yeah, the exposure a, level. I mean, she's going from Disney to Newsmax or Newswatch, whatever, the, whatever right wing uh, news site is uh, doing her movie. It's like, oh, are, are we really going to compare Disney to that? No, we're not. So no, it, it is not, a no, form not, of no, canceling comparing. because if she's no longer a representative of Disney, she doesn't have as many voices or as many ears clinging to her words. Wait, so, so, it's a are, form you, of so are you saying that a company, 
if a company sees something as a financial liability, they should be forced to just eat it and say, you, you have, it doesn't, I don't care if you lose business. You have Hell to keep this. No. Hell no, not at all. Why would you okay. even ask that? <laughs> okay. Well, well, I'm just saying it's like, so she got fired from a job from acting like an idiot. Right. I mean, right. Okay. So. <laughs> well, then that's not being canceled though. That's just being fired. Like said, we're, we're, we're just going to have to agree to disagree here. Like I said, I, yeah. I, I just think you're taking that word too literally, and I'm, I'm taking it a little bit looser of an interpretation. If you lose a job, you were canceled from that job. If AT&T were to fire me because I made a tweet, that is them canceling my relationship with them. I no longer have a relationship okay, with AT&T. Yeah. I have okay. been canceled. If we're going to literally go with the definition of the word cancel, then yes, you're right. <laughs> I'm just talking in the more broad, accepted, in the current climate of what people call con- uh, cancel culture. And I, to me personally, it just shifted to what people were talking about, like, what, two to three years ago when that term first started? Sure, sure. Uh, getting, yeah. getting brought it's up. I just think like, it's... Like- it's a very, now, it's very you know, the, the the net has been cast a lot more wide now. I, in my opinion. Yeah. Well, at the end of the day, we just know Gina Carano, Marilyn Manson are going to be on the next episode season of Celebrity Apprentice, hosted by the returning Donald Trump. <laughs> oh, that would be gold. I, I I'm all for I that. I don't think either one of them would do that, but that would be entertaining. It'd be great. <laughs> so um, now we probably managed to piss off listeners. Oh, All yeah, I'm pretty sure every female listener we have already left. Yeah, after I just told her I was going to fuck the shit out of Linda Cardinella, they already left after that. Oh, jeez. Uh, we'll in, in her Velma outfit, too. <laughs> and we'll uh, be kicked off dark discussions because of me. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, believe it or not, that was not even a burning question. It just kind of turned into <laughs> a discussion. Um Oh, before was there any news items that you guys got? Nothing really. Yeah, it's been kind of light lately. For the most part, I don't even read the news. I rarely go to horror movie websites. Eh. I I care about the movies. I don't care about what's happening around the movie. Or yeah, honestly, I these days you barely even need to go to the horror websites because before you get a chance, anything worth anything is shared and even the stuff that's not worth sharing get shared jeremy freeman look at this new 4k <laughs> look at this new 4k a movie i don't even like but i'm just trying to buy every 4k in existence ever yeah yeah, yeah. you know that's what they do yo they just buy any 4k that they like <laughs> he's like these new 4ks were added to the 4k section so they have been bought all the trauma movies he buys he has like 700 trauma movies that he hasn't watched yet <laughs> and he'll hate every one of them. <laughs> he should be forced to have to do like video reviews on every 4K he buys. Oh, that should be, I should tell Moose to add that to the Patreon. <laughs> video reviews of Jeremy's 4K collection. Um, all right. Well, then we will move on to our burning question of the episode. So, for those that don't know, uh, we are actually recording on Valentine's Day, February 14th. So, when we were coming up with this, I think, Venom, you are the one that officially uh, came up with it. Did you want to tell people what our burning question is for the episode? Or do you remember? Um, 
Yeah, uh, basically, <laughs> since since it is Valentine's Day, and Valentine's Day is obviously about all sorts of love, um, you know, uh, love shared between people and, you know, loving certain things, I decided we would talk, the three of us would talk about when we first fell in love with horror. It, you know, was it a certain experience? Was it a certain movie that you saw? Or was it a series of events that be, made you, like, for me, it, it's one singular event. But I don't know what it is for you guys. Like for you guys, it might be something more like a series of movies that maybe uh, a cool uncle or aunt or cousin took you to or whatever. But yeah, um, I just figured, you know, we're all horror lovers. Let's talk about love. <laughs> all right. Well, why don't you start us off, Adam? What was it for you? Um. Well, for me. My mother was a big part of it. My mother actually was a horror movie fan when she was younger. As she kind of got older, she kind of distanced herself from horror. But um, for those who don't know, I was born in, in 1970. I have very vivid memories of going to see horror films with my parents at the drive-in. Um, they would take us to the. They would take me to the drive-in. I was an only child, so it was just me in the back seat. They knew that most Saturday nights I would end up falling asleep within a half hour of the first movie. So they never really had too many concerns about going to see anything too crazy. So I have some vivid memories of enjoying horror at a younger age. But the actual moment for me that made me a horror movie lover, 1979, I'm nine years old and I watched Night of the Living Dead for the first time. That night, I lost sleep because of the scene where the girl, where the little girl kills her mother with the trowel in the basement. Mm -hmm. That screeching sound effect. I heard that screeching sound effect in my head for days after I saw that movie. I was that that first night I didn't sleep almost at all. I just I couldn't fall asleep. Every time I closed my eyes, I saw that little girl. Every time I opened them, I thought I could hear the mom screeching. So I, I was just terrified. And a, uh, I'd say probably like two or three days later when I finally calmed down um, as far as my fear goes and I was sleeping normally again and everything else, I actually I realized that nothing in my life – and this is a nine-year-old saying this, mind you. I realized that there was nothing in my life that had made me feel the way that movie made me feel. Now, mind you, I've seen Star Wars uh, in theaters back in 77. I have very vivid memory of my father taking me to see Star Wars in theaters. Um, you know, a lot of great, you know, Jaws and things like that. But it was it was absolutely Night of the Living Dead. It was that basement scene. And like I said, a few days later, when I really sat down and thought about why I had lost so much sleep and why it scared me so much. I absolutely fell in love. I ended up forcing my parents to uh, rent it again because this is in the very, very infancy of VHS. I mean, this is back when the VHS, they were the top loading VHS decks that were gigantic. Some of them were like the size of your TV. Um, mm -hmm. And video rentals were, you know, few and far between. There was no Blockbuster. This was even before any of the mom and pop places open. We actually had a supermarket that had some oh, yeah. VHS that they would rent out back in the late 70s. And, and that's kind of where we were seeing all our movies early on. But, yeah, for me, absolutely. Nine years old in 1979 watching Night of the Living Dead made me a horror lover. Nice. Sexy. 
<laughs> Derek, what you got? I think I told this story before a few times in different various shows. Do you guys remember AMC back in the day before this was reruns of Friday the Thirteenth and Halloween? <laughs> Vaguely. Yeah, when it felt more like halfway, like it wasn't it, like a premium movie network, but it felt a little more like designed for movie lovers than it is now. <laughs> yeah, you know, they used to have like Robert Osmond, who actually was the voice on the the fucking intercom of uh, the original Evil Dead. He was the host and used to introduce movies. Uh, and they used to have Monster Fest, which is totally different than the like the, Fear Fest or whatever it is. Yeah, whatever on Halloween. Where they used to show like old school like horror movies, actual with no commercials. It was great back then. I miss it. I seen a movie known as Doctor Terror's House of Horrors, which was it's an anthology film from Amicus. It's like one of their like first like go arounds as an anthology. And I was just like glued to the screen watching like these various different stories, like a killer plant one, a werewolf one, a killer hand one. And, you know, I just like the whole gist of like the, what's it called? Uh, the wraparound story with like Peter Cushion's character of Dr. Terror. It's kind of like this tarot card reader telling all these tales of these guys that he's riding the train with. Steph, and the end of the wraparound is so haunted and great that I was just blown away by this. So, like, it was the first, like, anthology film I ever seen. And it's fucking great. I still love it. I was so happy when it finally got re released because I haven't seen it since I was a kid. So, when that was announced, like, a few years ago to be on Blu ray, I was, like, very excited for that moment because I get to appreciate that moment forever. And that's that's why probably why I like a lot of UK horror, to be honest, because that was kind of my first experience of like maybe like a horror movie atmosphere. Because I remember seeing like other horror movies as a kid, but none of them kind of grabbed me like you know the fog aesthetic, uh, you know the scores like that. I didn't really notice that until that moment. So I I, I had to give it up to Freddie. Oh. Freddie Francis has uh, directed a film, Dr. Terror's House of Horrors, who's, you know, Freddie Francis actually has a very interesting career because he was a director for a lot of horror movies, but he's also a world-class cinematographer. If you look at, like, some of them, he won an Oscar for, like, Glory, the movie Glory for the cinematography. So it's kind of mind-blown in that sense. Like, he scored some of my... He, like, did, like, the shots for some of my favorite movies, like The Elephant Man fucking glory it's kind of nuts when you look at that he's like not a, a, even in the, the innocence uh which me and venom talked about a few times on the show oh yeah Love yeah this. he did yeah he did all the like the shot compositions for that and you know he's probably one of the better like directors of photography who went in to be a director too because he takes that you know i like a lot of the photography like directors of photography that end up becoming actual directors work later like Nicholas Rouge and uh, even like some Yonda Bond shit, even though it was like some of the stories are like, yeah, you know, like usual like action stuff. I think they're visually like great in that sense too. Like, you know, Yonda Bond shot Cujo and that movie's fucking shotgun positions fucking great, in my opinion. But uh, yeah, Dr. Tara's House of Horrors is probably the first film where I saw as 
I think I was six or seven. It was a while ago. But, uh, yeah, that's about when I started to fall in love with the genre and search for it. Cool. Um, as far as I go, I have a, you know, one of the things I've told a couple different times on different shows, it's actually very similar to Venom's story because mine involves a driving as well. And what's funny is you said yours was 1979. Well, I was born 10 years after you and mine takes place about the same time of age. Mine's 89 instead of 79. My, uh, we, when I was growing up that, that young of an age, we actually had two drive-ins in my city and we, you know, during the summer months or spring months, we were pretty much there every other week just because, uh, it was, you know, it was financially just a lot cheaper to go to the drive-in. And then the fact that you usually got to see at least two movies out of it. So, um, they, the local drive-in ended up playing, uh, Tim Burton's Batman and child's play on a double bill. And my thoughts looking back on it is I assume that, my dad figured, you know, I'd make it halfway through Batman. Cause this was, I think it was during the summer where it stays light almost till 9 PM. So, you know, your first movie's not even starting to like pretty late. Um, if you're there for a double feature. And I think he assumed I would make it like halfway through Batman and pass out. Well, that plan worked initially, except I woke up like maybe 15 minutes into child's play, not knowing that it was child like i still feel oh i must have just woken up at a different part of batman and then all of a sudden there's a doll that throws a babysitter out the window and i'm like <laughs> <laughs> i'm like um, what <laughs> and uh i i still don't i think i ended up probably falling back asleep so like it was just like a you know maybe 30 minutes of child's play and it was one of those situations where like you were kind of like scared but intrigued at the same time so that kind of planted the seed there and then the other uh, the other two things i mean one is i think for a lot of us in general my my parents were pretty open with what i watched like we took daily or weekly trips to the uh, video store to rent movies and for the most part, like, you know, my parents would be picking out what they wanted, my sister, what she wanted. And I, I would go straight to the horror section and look for something based on the cool VHS box artwork. And I can't remember a time where, like, my parents looked at it and said no. So it's like I'm, I'm lucky that I grew up in an environment where they were pretty much like, yeah, you can watch uh, what you want. Um, and then the third thing that I never really thought about before but um, it's it's so obvious. I just I don't know why I didn't think of it. Is when I was growing up, we had um, a local Friday night show called Fright Night Theater that was hosted by one of the uh, one of the local rock station DJs. He actually did like a different persona for Fright Night Theater, and it was basically you know it would start about nine ten o'clock at night, and I think they would show either two or three movies every week, and because you know it's a little local station and for any younger listeners you gotta realize like when i say station it's not like an hbo like these are you know small budget a smaller city so 
what they can actually afford the rights to, you know, obviously Night of the Living Dead was in heavy, heavy rotation because that's something anyone could <laughs> grab. Um, we, we would get stuff like, you remember The Kiss, that movie? Um, we would get The Gate, like stuff like that. Like, still movies I like. It's just, you could, I was too young to really understand budget stuff, but looking back on it, it's like, yeah, obviously you would get a lot of, um, either sequels or movies far into like a franchise where it's a lot cheaper to license them for uh, this production. And it just, it, it showed me so many movies I wouldn't have otherwise seen or stuff. I maybe not wouldn't be, that might be at the video store when I went, but it wouldn't have picked them. Um, so it just kind of like beefed up the amount of stuff I was seeing. And the fact that it was like a go-to every Friday it was on, even if it was a rerun, they would still, throw it on they never really preempted it for anything so having that it it was almost like a prelude to me discovering joe bob eventually on the movie channel when he did that drive-in show before he went to tnt and did monster vision because like the first time i saw joe bob i was like oh it's just like friday night theater even though joe bob had been around a lot longer i that's the first time i saw him so i think you know having that local show was really cool growing up um and video store and parents, uh, it was just a good combination. For, and I would say that that really contributed not just to horror itself, but just movies in general. The fact that, you know, I saw a lot of older movies. I saw Godzilla movies because my dad would be on weekends. Sometimes he would find like the marathon on, on some random cable channel. He would have Godzilla movies playing all day. And that's like... How I, I remember seeing two tiny girls in a birdcage <laughs> in one of them. Sounds like a personal uh, problem. Yeah, really. Um, I don't think it was a. I don't think that was a Godzilla movie. I think it was a different monster. But but anyway, just I saw a lot of weird and out there stuff growing up, and it helped me kind of. Sometimes all you need is that seed planted that hey, it's out there, and it sounds silly now because with the internet, it's like you can literally discover anything you want in five seconds. But back then, you actually had to get a hold of stuff to, or you just had to go into a lot. more more stuff blind like not knowing ahead of time what it was like unless you had like an older sibling or a friend that had everything already but um i think i think the the fact that a lot of it was having to discover stuff on our own you know you really had to seek it out back then and gave you that appreciation but yeah it, it got me hooked um and i always you know i always say i grew up I consider myself part of the sequel generation because Venom, you probably saw a lot of stuff in the theater, like the originals, the start of the, the start of uh, slasher franchises. You were old enough before, but I was more like, okay, well, when, once they're hitting like parts threes, fours, fives, that's like when I was old enough to go to the theater. Um, so franchises help because something you're familiar with, we want to make you go see it too. But, oh yeah. Yeah, so that's Good just times. a piece. Yeah, hell yeah, man. And we're I'm still here talking about horror and other you're things. Still, you're still here, man. Yeah, you hey, I, I, I haven't been canceled yet, right? I don't know. After <laughs> that gorilla in a birdcage, it sounds more like a porn title. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it probably is. All right, well, does anyone else have anything to add before we... Nothing not much. I just want to picture like Mike watching like a... I just picture like having a nightmare later of Mike drive flying on Mothra. 
I do have a vivid memory of my parents watching Tales from the Crypt, too. And I remember being, like, young, where it was, like, past my bedtime, and I would, like, make excuses to try to watch it with them. I want to get yeah another shout out to another movie, Die Monster Die. That's another movie I used to watch as a kid a lot. That was Boris nice. Karloff. Yeah, Boris Karloff. Nick Adams. Hell speaking, yes. of, speaking of Godzilla. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we are going to take a short break. And Derek, are you ready to captain the ship when we come back? I'm about to go, yeah, I mean sled. We're going to captain the sled. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Get the sled work in. Yeah, we'll uh, be back after that. So take a little break and we'll be right back. Drop you off at the lodge.
Посмотрите же. And we are back, everybody, at the nice little break that we all took. Uh, we actually, on the break, we actually were talking about Paul Gasari somehow, but we'll, we'll <laughs> save that for like the after credit stuff, maybe. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, we're here to talk about some Finnish horror, and uh, this one's an early example of Finnish horror, which, uh, you know, Finland's kind of an interesting country in general with... I actually really like a lot of the Scandinavian horror in general. Finland's kind of an interesting one for me because, you know, they did, like, rare exports. Oh, yeah. That was probably, like, one of the bigger ones that came out from that country. But this one's kind of like a fantasy horror film, and that's what it's labeled as mm-hmm. on IMDb, and it's The White Reindeer from 1952. Uh, directed by Eric Bloomberg and the little plot synopsis which kind of is kind of the basic story of this movie it's a newly wed woman goes to a local shaman to get some help with her love life but instead gets turned into a white reindeer vampire and yeah that's pretty much the movie (laughs) because uh, the thing that is interesting about this movie is how short it is it actually gets right into it, which I kind of dig about the movie because this was a first time watch for me. So I'll kind of give my first thoughts on it. It's very fantasized. It, you know, some of the music was kind of jarring for me in some places where it's like, it felt like I was in a, like a fucking live action black and white Disney movie at some points during the movie, <laughs> you know, especially like that. It sounded like music from Bambi in some scenes. and like, okay, you know, this is kind of weird going into it. But then when, like, all the white reindeer shit was happening, I thought that was kind of cool because it's kind of a unique take on vampirism that I never really got to see before. And I kind of like that where, you know, the folk horror element is, you know, is the shaman. And he she does, like, this ritual, like this reindeer graveyard, per se. That's what I think it was. It's been a while since I actually watched this movie, since we were supposed to originally. So this is all going off memory. But I really like those scenes. And, you know, it's her inner turmoil of, you know, she's becoming this monster pretty much. And I like that aspect of the story in general. Uh, and it kind of is like a tragic fairy tale in a way. It's very tragic in the end. Which you don't really get to see in a lot of like these fifty movies, you know, like, even like the American ones. Usually, like during this time period, a lot of like the sci-fi fair was coming up. So this is kind of an interesting aesthetical choice, and I love like the setting. Uh, the black and white looks gorgeous, especially if you watch the Blu-ray version of this movie, where you get to see like the pan scenes. It, it's very vastly beautiful. Some of the cinematography of this movie, uh-huh. uh, and you know, it's kind of. It's it's a it's an okay movie. Uh, actually, this movie actually has a very high rate on IMDb as I'm looking at it right now, seven point one out of ten. So I guess there's a lot of fans of this movie. And uh, you know, I was actually listening to the commentary that's on the disc too. Cat uh, Allinger, she she brought up a lot of information uh, as she always does. She's actually one of my favorite commentaries to listen to is Cat Allinger, and uh, I do recommend that if you guys do pick up this release uh, for the listeners out there. It's a UK release, so you, unfortunately if you live in the States, you will need a region free player mm-hmm. to watch this, which, you know, I, I like that aspect, too. but uh, yeah, the film was interesting enough. It's definitely going to take me a few more watches 
they get the full gist of what's going on and the it's just a fast paced movie. I was actually shocked how fucking mm-hmm. fast it was getting to the third act already. I'm like, whoa. And you know, then the ending happens and like, oh that's kinda like a sad version of Beauty and the Beast. <laughs> but uh Venom, what did you think of this movie, man? I really, really like this movie. This was a, a big surprise for me. I mean, also a first-time watch. But when I go into a movie from the early 50s, I tend not to want to give it too much credit for, like, its actual filmmaking, cinematography, editing, things like that. But this movie does an amazing job. I think that, again, we're looking at this beautiful countryside in northern Finland where they're herding reindeer. So uh, it's the, when the locale is already gorgeous, it's not hard to have good cinematography. But I was still really impressed with some of the camera work here. The composition on some of the shots were really cool. Like there was that one scene where um, after one of the white reindeer attacks, uh, the survivor of the the attack actually recognizes the witch and calls her out. But everybody, you know, nobody believes her. The way that they framed that shot where the light from the fire was lighting um, Parita's face. Uh, the white reindeer, uh, the witch, the way it was lighting her face from underneath. And then it would go back to the guy looking at her. They both, they caught each other's eyes and they, uh, you know, she instantly realized that, oh shit, he recognizes me. But she still played it off really well when he actually um, accuses her of and actually tries to attack her. Um, But that's just one of many examples of some really nice filmmaking in this. For Like I said, for a 1952 film... Uh, Derek's absolutely right about the uh, picture quality. This is gorgeous for 1952 low budget Finland. I mean, this thing looks really nice. There, are, there's American movies from this time period that don't look this nice. So I'm absolutely going to give this movie its credit for that. I also really like the original take on the vampire uh, mythos. Um, and Derek, I don't know if you know, but this is now the second time that you've introduced me to a va- to a very different kind of vampire movie. Um, for the first was last year when we did the Bloodthirsty trilogy and the Vampire's Doll. I yeah. absolutely loved that movie. I love the the concept of how she became a vampire, and it's the same thing in this one. I, I may not like this one as much, but I I, I do appreciate its originality. Um, you know, obviously she's not bitten by a vampire to then become one. She actually, you know, has to go through this ritual, you know, has to take this concoction that's made to her by a shaman. Uh, she then has other tasks that she has to do to complete the transformation. Uh, I believe she ends up having to kill like the first creature that she runs across and then sacrificing it to, um, and I forget the name some dark god uh, that some people worship in that area. And and then suddenly she's basically a white reindeer slash vampire. And I, I just thought the originality there was really cool. I mean, for uh, once again, for something from the 50s, uh, you know, the, the, this was just very different. If they'd have made this movie today, I would be praising how different of a vampire story it is. But then we've got our performances, you know, 
I think Barita, uh, the witch, does a great job. Um, you know, a little bit of an older woman. I'm not sure her exact age in this film, but you can see a little bit of, like, you know, crow's feet on the side of her eyes and whatnot. But she's still mm-hmm. very, very beautiful woman for her age. And, um, you know, she she uh, marries Oslok, who is basically, like, the main reindeer herder in that community. Um so obviously, you know, that instantly, you know, makes her kind of a, a higher person in the community now because, you know, she's married to such an upstanding citizen, blah, blah, blah. But I, I can go on and on about the different story elements of this movie that I really enjoyed. But, yeah, I got to say for a movie that's, you know, it, 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 I agree with Derek about its pacing, but it's not action packed pacing. It's not like there's constant things happening and constant, um, you know vampire attacks or anything like that it's just paced really nice because you actually you kind of get involved with the story and you get engaged with the characters like i i was legitimately you know into our main uh male character i thought he was really cool held himself really high and yes he is a absolute clone of our uh podcast network lead uh (laughs) philip perrin Philip, if you are listening to this right now, please seek out the White Reindeer 1952. I'm telling you, your twin brother is the star of this movie. Um, But aside from that, like I said, I really, really enjoyed this movie. Uh, Surprisingly enjoyed it. Um, because I'm not usually real big on like 40s and 50s foreign cinema. Not a lot of it's really worked for me over the years, but this is a uh, a shining example of what to do right. I, I really enjoyed this. Um, I watched it a couple of times, and I probably will pick up that Blu-ray since I do have a region-free player here. Because um, I am actually very interested on some of the commentary stuff. I, I'd like to hear more about the history of this film and maybe you know wacky things that may have happened while they were filming it, the, the, the casting process, things like that. But yeah. This was uh, this was a, a surprise, just like with the Vampire's Doll. Derek uh, introduces me to another movie that I end up loving uh, in the vampire genre. So kudos to Derek. Kudos, and I'm glad to hear that. And yeah, man, I'm glad to hear that. You definitely pick up that. Uh, best bet is to check like the Eureka sales because Eureka actually ships the Blu-rays for free. They don't do shipping. Oh, nice. So I always buy the, like the, my Eurekas direct from them. Uh, I'll check it out. Yeah, so I'll, I'll maybe when I see like a sale going on and it's there, I'll send you the links and stuff. Because you know Eureka is a good company. Like they release a lot of stuff that like Criterion does, mm-hmm. but I usually pick up the Eureka stuff because it's so much cheaper. <laughs> nice. You know, you know, so I like that aspect about Eureka. <laughs> so, but uh, Mike. Um, the White Reindeer, yeah, this was a first time watch for me too. I'd never even heard of it. I had when you first said what your picks were, I had no idea like what they're about, what anything they had to do with. Watching this one, I was very entertained. I liked it a lot. Uh it's a it's a slow moving story, but because of I feel like the running time, since the running time's pretty short, it's still I, like you can't say it's paced quick, but it still feels like a quick watch. Just obviously the running time alone makes it that I love when, uh, you know, a country, um, takes a classic, you know, a classic monster in this case, vampire, and they work 
everything about what we know about that, but then they make it a localized story into like, you know, whatever the country they may be, wherever they live, the elements. I think the fact that this is, you know, in a, what, some desolate area in the middle of nowhere and a bunch of snow in Finland, uh, that enhances the story so much because the themes of like isolation and desperation uh, contribute to the motivation of the main character, what she initially tries to go do. I love, um, I love that shaman character. He was like goofy and over, you know, I, I would say over the top, it, it doesn't come off as over the top through our, through the lens of modern times, but watching him, like I could only imagine seeing that character back then and just getting there. Yeah, you, you know, you kind of it. remind me of Mike, that character. Who? You kind of remind me of the devil gypsy character from Alicarda. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. He, he reminded me of that. He almost reminded me of like a a drunk version of Mickey, <laughs> the <laughs> boxing Rocky's boxing manager. <laughs> but that little goofy laugh he would give every time. Like, oh, you women, are, women old and young, you're all the same. He's laughing, and you know she when she goes to visit him and she starts taking out all the stuff she came to barter with, like the food, the bread, and the cheese, and then she breaks out the bottle and he just goes right for that. Um, that whole little sequence, you know, where he's he's doing his little shaman spell, but then still gets scared by her calling her a witch. Um, I man, it, I just thought this movie doesn't have very many weaknesses at all to me. I I thought the main character she was she was great in it. I love you know the shape shifting going on where. You know, because we've seen, like, you know, the whole vampire and wolves things. Well, this one, it's the white reindeer that she shapeshifts into. Yeah. And I love the fact that it just kind of takes over this small little town. And, you know, she's kind of following the events as the town is becoming more suspicious. And she's, like, asking her husband, like, well, what are you making a spear for? And he's like, what is it? Like, solidified iron or whatever is the only thing that can kill a witch. And she's like, oh, shit. Like... So she goes to leave. Um, this this movie is not heavy on dialogue, but you almost don't need it because you. Can, I, I feel like this is when you watch it, you, you can almost feel the setting that this takes place in. Just it feels like a cold movie. The movie makes you feel cold just watching it. Um, and you know, yeah. Overall, I gotta say this. I think this is a, partially because we pushed the show back. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, obviously that played a part in it, but th- but when I watched it today, it was the third time I watched it because I I liked it. I it's one of those movies where like I had to rewatch it because the show got pushed back, but I had no problem rewatching it because I I like it a lot. So uh, yeah, White Reindeer is awesome. It and it, it's cool because it's a movie I probably that would have never been on my radar probably at all, and uh, I ended up really really liking it. Yeah, the same. Like, like I was just intrigued by the plot of it alone. Like when I first heard about it myself, and I was like, I gotta see this movie eventually. <laughs> and you know, you know, even though I said some of the musical choices are jarring, it's just I'm not saying they're bad. It's just I was expecting like that type of music in the movie. It, it, it kind of fit after the whole movie was on. It kind of played like a dark Disney fairy tale, you know. Oh yeah, especially that first that first piece of the score that comes up. I think when they're like racing or just sledding it's all whimsical i was like i i picked up on that more in like the second and third watch i i totally overlooked it the first time i was watching it but both the subsequent watches definitely i was like 
Well, that's a whimsical piece of music for where things head in this movie later. <laughs> yeah, it's like the calm before the storm. <laughs> you know, it's, it's like it's another great day in Finland on sleds with reindeer, and uh, then things take a turn. And the, the thing I like about like this story, it kind of plays like it's kind of like a witch slash vampire story, but it kind of has like some with werewolf mythology within it, where you know the where like the witch and slash vampire is kind of like the tragic character. Because they know, and you know they they feel bad, and it ends up being the one that they love that ends up killing them, kind of like a werewolf movie would, and usually, so that kind of intrigued me enough, and kind of I never got to see that before in a vampire movie, and I like that aspect about it, and yeah. the whole scene where she's like trying to hide her teeth is fucking funny. <laughs> I was cracking up. <laughs> it was yeah. so much fun that scene. Yeah, and they, they definitely do a good job of um, making it out to be a curse, which is what it is, because whatever small advantages it might give her, it's like, no, she's basically set up with this curse for the rest of her life now. Um, and, you know, that at some point she's, like, begging for it to go away. And it's not. It's not going away. And the only way it ends is through death. That spear. Yep. Yeah, it's man. Good. You know, it's, like we said, it's, this movie's very fast-paced. It only runs like an hour and eight minutes, I think, was the runtime. It just flies by. Even though, like, you know, it has, like, a slow pace in some scenes, but even those scenes, when you get to, like, when she's actually becoming the white reindeer, then it just flies, the movie, and it goes right to the end, and you're like, okay. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know? yeah. Yeah, definitely. I like how she kind of evolves as a character because when she first changes over, it seems like she's kind of embracing it, like oh, like look, look, look at me now. But then as the events unfold, she realizes like this is no, no type of long term solution for the problem I had, and it's it's too late, and it's a tragic ending, and that's usually. You know, keeping with the theme on, on Universal Monsters, where you know obviously this uh, is branches out from. That's tragedy is usually a theme in those movies, so it's kind of apt that that's how this one ends. Yeah, it kind of has. You know, I feel like the director of Alec Carter was a fan of this movie in some sense because it kind of does remind me a little bit of Alec Carter in some. Senses, because that kind of is tragic. What happens to those characters too? At the end of the day, even though they, you know, go to Satan, and this one's praying to this god, pretty much, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. shit goes down. But, but yeah, it's a. I recommend it a lot. I, I I do hope this gets like a bigger, wider U.S. release for more people to see it in the future. And uh, I think it's one that should be talked about more. Yeah, I definitely yeah. agree. I would recommend it to anyone listening. Big time. Yeah, a fan of you're a fan of folk horror, vampires, uh, black and white. I mean, there's there, this hits a lot of niches. So yeah, it, it's it, we've all echoed it. It's it's a great film. No reason not to check it out. I mean, it's probably not the easiest thing to find for America, but if you can. Definitely check it out. Well worth your time. Well worth yeah. your hour and whatever minutes. <laughs> and one other thing I wanted to throw in is um, I I already kind of mentioned how I like how 
the story is very personalized to like that region of the world. But at the same time, I don't feel there's anything in the story or how events unfold that would be confusing to like American audiences. You know, it's not like, you know, sometimes when you get foreign movies, there's a lot of cultural stuff in there that like you just don't understand what's going on because you don't understand the culture. But this it's pretty straightforward. The events in the movie, It, it definitely feels like a movie from that part of the world, but I don't really think there's much that is going to have you scratching your head. It's a fairly straightforward type of story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. I wouldn't mind seeing a modern day remake of this. Um, keep keep the basic storyline, but maybe add a little bit more horror elements to it. Um, I, I, th- this is definitely one that I wouldn't mind seeing a modern retelling of it. I mean, yeah, hopefully I it, would, it wouldn't get ruined, but I think with the right director, right writer, uh, this could turn into a great little movie. Modern yeah. day. Yeah, for sure. I, I could definitely see like a remake of this with a, a few more like horror beats to it. It, it keeps like yeah, the exactly. main major story and not like, you know, it has to be the right director and stuff to really do that. Cause I want, I could see it done. I could oh, absolutely. I could definitely use a killer reindeer movie in my life. <laughs> oh, could you imagine? Could you imagine what Robert Eggers would do with this? The the king of folk horror right now. Oh, oh man! That'd oh, be amazing. See, a two four, get on it. <laughs> do it. And I, do I, 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 I want a producer's credit if you do it. <laughs> or a special thanks at least. There you go. <laughs> yeah, it, it is sitting at a seven point zero on IMDb. So at least those who have seen it tend to yeah. rank it pretty high. I would actually rate it even higher. I mean, seven is seven's a good score, but this movie is better than good. I mean, this movie's great. I, I would oh yeah, I would I would probably rank it higher, definitely too. It's just sometimes with IMDb, it's it it's, seems like to reach that eight threshold, it's very rare because there's just so many people that mm-hmm. are ranking stuff like randomly that. To me, like anytime something hits a six or above on IMDb, it's usually like there's a good chance of it to be really good. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. I mean, this. I mean, this is a seven right now with 50, over fifteen hundred reviews. So, I mean, it's not like it's not like only four people saw it and gave it mm-hmm. great reviews. I mean, fifteen hundred people are giving this an average of seven stars. So. Um, I mean, that's saying a lot, I think. And th- that's probably the whole 1,500 people that have ever seen the movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, all right. You guys ready to get into some fucking weird shit? <laughs> As opposed to this weird shit? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> all right. Next movie up on deck from 2008. Sauna, uh, which has a 6.3 out of 10 on IMDb with uh, 6,791 reviews. Hmm. Wow. Uh, directed by AJ Anala. I was going to pronounce his actual name because I don't want to butcher the fuck out of that for. Auntie, Auntie Juicy? Something Auntie, like that? Auntie Juicy! <laughs> <laughs> you know. Uh, but a uh, little plot synopsis. Wow. As a 25-year war between Russia and Sweden concludes, two brothers who are part of the effort 
to outline a new border accords become undone by their actions and their mistreatment of a young woman during their journey. It's a lot more than that, but oh uh, yeah, watch. Yeah, uh, yeah I'll, I'll add a few. You know, they end up finding like this hidden village in the middle of the swamp out of nowhere, and you know, this movie actually has two meanings, which I kind of like. There's the flower from Finland known as the sauna flower, which has some kind of imagery within it when we get into it, when we get into the movie. But then there's an actual sauna sauna in the movie, which, you know, ends up being a bad place for what happens to our two main characters. Uh, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll start with Mike with this one. Mike, what do you think of this movie, man? This one was weird. You're you're correct in saying that. I I, I feel like there's a lot going in this uh, to this story. Um, there's a lot of issues, not issues with the movie necessarily. I mean, like the characters have issues that they're dealing with. Uh, a lot of guilt. They're obviously, you know, they're at the tail end of a war between two countries. They're dealing with the ramifications of it so there's guilt i think uh there's regret that dictates actions uh again i think we also have some isolation issues in this one as well as you know once you go through taking part in a war where there's lots of murder and lots of things that you might not have done otherwise it's like how do you how do you mentally go back from that like can you ever and will that carry with you uh, through the uh, events of the rest of your life. And I think this movie does a good job um, incorporating that into the horror elements and contributing to obviously all the other stuff going on. Cause once they hit that weird, creepy town, <laughs> that definitely amps things up a little. Uh, you have, you know, over curious kid that ends up playing a part, <laughs> everything as it unfolds. And then of course you have, the supernatural element that's kind of following them and i i you get a pretty good idea like what the uh what is it, the older brother i mean you kind of have a good idea i think from the beginning that what you find out he did or didn't do i guess that it was probably going in that direction like oh he never did he and turns out yep and that's that started off the uh, supernatural events or that doing that, I mean, kicked it off. And uh, yeah, I like this movie too. I, I, I probably like the white reindeer better out of the two, but I still like this one. This one was a first time watch for me as well. Um, I thought, you know, the relationship between the brothers, uh, there's a lot of resentment between them. They, they obviously have very different like outlooks and kind of responses to the war where, you know, the older one is very hardened, but the hardened exterior almost makes him more, you know, prone to what he's bottling up. Mm-hmm. Whereas the the younger brother might seem like more of a frail or weak one, but I feel like he's more openly acknowledging things. So it's, it's he feels somewhat like he's handling it better, but... Again, this is stuff that's going to carry on with these characters for life, and it definitely plays into how things play out. But uh, you know, i i enjoyed I enjoyed the movie. I thought it was a good story, and um, I like the things that happened 
along the way. So I'll leave it at that for the moment. Venom. Yeah, uh, a, a lot of the same things. I mean, I really enjoyed this movie. I, uh, once again, just like with White Reindeer, we've got some beautiful locales. Um, instead of snowy mountains, now we just get like a wooded areas, wooded forests, things like that. But again, some great cinematography, some really nice shot composition. Um, this movie is definitely driven by the performance of the brothers for probably the first half of the film. And not to say that they're the only characters in here, but they're obviously the characters that we're following. Um, hard to really call them the protagonists because yeah, of some of the yeah. things that the older brother does. But it's they're, they're still the characters that we're following. So... Um, but like I said, yeah, I mean, for – for uh, how can I put this? I really enjoyed the, the relationship between the brothers. I enjoyed the dichotomy of their different personalities. One was very gung-ho and into war and very hateful, if you will, whereas the other one – you know, looked at war a little bit differently and, and you know, had a little bit different um, take on how to treat people during wartime. And even in this movie, technically it's not wartime. The war is ended before this movie starts, but the older brother, it, it's like he's just endlessly at war. For the rest of his life, he is just going to be at war, you know? So, um, but th believe it or not, this is not a first time watch for me. I actually watched this uh, probably in 2011 or 12, I want to say. Um, that would have been right around the time where, and I guess now I can explain my greeting at the beginning of the show when I said welcome amorphous uh, children of Bodom and Nightwish fans, because of course those are three of the more popular Finnish metal bands. They are actually my three favorite Finnish metal bands out there, so I thought I'd bring that little flavor to the beginning of our show, but... Um, when I first discovered Nightwish, uh, Nightwish, excuse me, was right around 2010, and they had put out a movie for one of their albums, and I just thought it was really well done, put together. So I actually started seeking out um, Finnish cinema, and Sauna was one of the movies that I ran into. Uh, I'm actually glad that uh, Derek brought it to the table this time because I definitely have a much more. Um, a much better understanding of what's actually happening here and what the sauna represents, um, you know, uh, and the town itself, the village. I mean, um, I yeah, I, I like this movie a lot. Um, um, I love like some of the weird supernatural stuff that they were doing with that one location, that one like uh, building that mm -hmm. was, uh, you know, in the middle of the swamp there. And I, I like how you know, the door, the front entrance would like disappear and reappear at will. Um, basically, if it wanted someone to walk in there, the entrance would appear. But if someone that they that it didn't want in there came around, like the older brother, suddenly the entrance was wasn't there. It was just a block. So I, I thought that was really cool. Kind of making kind of showing that the swamp is a character in and of itself. Uh -huh. And I like that a lot about this. Um um, I thought, I thought the thing with, uh, <laughs> with him counting his kills was kind of interesting because I, I know that's kind of a common thing in wartime, but again, the war is over here. This guy is still, I mean, the very first time we see him, he's stabbing someone to death. Yeah. Um, many, many, many times. I mean, he stabs him a couple of dozen times on screen and he proclaims that it's his 73rd kill. 
And then, you know, later on, you know, they talk about 74. And then when we get the revelation of what of who number 75 was, it kind of gets the ball rolling for the horror aspect of this film. So, yeah, um, this is this is a very symbol, symbol filled movie. There's a lot of iconography in here that I think is really cool, mostly like turn of the century stuff, obviously, but some really, really cool settings and especially once they get to the village in question and I love the set design, it works for the period, you know, it works for people that haven't lived in that area long because they said they migrated. Um, yeah, I just, I just feel like the movie is, uh, very well put together, very well acted, written, scored, edited. I mean, it's just overall really a fine film. It's really more a matter of your comprehension of the story as to, how much you're going to enjoy the film or not. If you walk away from the film, like I did the first time where I really had no idea what I had just watched. I just remember thinking, well, it looked cool and you know, it was legitimately creepy at times. So I was like, all right, well I guess it's not bad, but I had no idea what the story really meant. Um, this watch though, I definitely, you know, looking at my with my older eyes looking at it now i can definitely see more of the commentary you know beneath the surface and everything so yeah really good movie really enjoyed it i dug the fuck out of it too it took me a few watches the because this is actually kind of the movie that i was just it had to be a mood movie for me because you know every time when i try to watch it, i'm like yeah, let's just push the show back, guys. I'll be honest right now, because I need to really sit down and indulge this movie, you know, and get into it in that sense. And I wasn't really in the mood to watch movies when we were first doing this. I'm honest. It happens. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I dug the fuck out of this. It kind of had, like, that J-horror vibe to it, too, especially with, like, yes. that spirit that keeps following him. Which mm-hmm. we find out who that is later, and it 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 definitely has a lot of elements of different genres of horror within, it, not just the folk horror stuff, which is fucking great. Still, I love the aesthetic of the movie. It's beautifully shot the, with the period piece setting, and the clothing's great and it's factual. Uh, and it was weird because I was expecting the other brother to actually be the one that was kind of like the bad guy. Not the guy in the cover that has the glasses, right. and and you know the first scene, like you said, he's just stabbing some dude, and you're like, what the fuck? And uh, it's just great in the drawing. I love uh, the symbolism of like the actual sauna flower. You know when he has it in his hand, and he sees that it's all muddy and dirty, and he dips into water, and it becomes white and clean. Uh, it's pretty much the main message is like cleansing the spirit pretty much mm-hmm. with that symbolism and I like that aspect of the movie because this guy at the end goes into this building to try to cleanse his soul but unfortunately the way that I kind of grasped it it was too late for him because he just fucked up and fucked with the wrong person at the right time and that ending is like nuts it's nuts I still have some questions about the ending especially oh, yeah. you know especially like that final scene involving the kid character is kind of yeah the little boy slash girl <laughs> yeah you know 
that that was interesting when you found out because I didn't even know that the first time I watched it. I'm like, I thought it was a boy the whole time the first time, <laughs> you know. But uh, yeah, it goes in the places, and I like that. It's a different. It, it kind of has like a set. If say if like Black Death, the movie had like fucking a J horror side story to it. That's what this movie is to me, and I really dug the fuck out of it. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. Yeah, I thought there might have been some, like, repressed feelings going on with the older brother, too. That, like, they didn't touch on it a lot, but there were some lines of dialogue and the way he, like, would react. I'm like, hmm, are they touching on that ever so slightly without coming, without, like, straight up saying something about him that he's trying to repress? But, I don't know. It was just a, a couple things, but... I don't know, not for sure, but whether that was there or I'm just reading too much into it, still, I I love this movie. It was it was really good. Like the more I think about it, yeah, I, I love the way they use the settings of the in, in the woods. Um, like Venom said that the uh, the building kind of in the middle of the swamp that's just kind of like scary or disturbing looking to begin with, and then yeah. when they get to the vill, they get to the village, and as soon as it's brought up, everyone just gives these looks of like. Oh, yes, we know about it. Do not go in there. <laughs> Nothing you know, will come of it. <laughs> yeah, this is tension the whole time because, you know, the, like, the Russian people that they're with are all fucking, like, suspect, especially that one dude who uh, keeps staring at him. You know, like, yeah. like you know, like, asking questions to the, like, the, the glass, the glasses brother, uh, Eric, as I call him, Eric. But, uh, you know, that aspect of it is really interesting because it's always tension, even, like, the slow scenes, because these guys are, like, you know, they just ended the war between each other, but they're like, I want to still fucking kill you, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So the, mm-hmm. I like that part about it, too. It's kind of like a survival, like, kind of like a sea, like, you know, the kind of, like, paranoia story, too, in that aspect with the whole backdrop of the war just ending type deal. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, the distrust aspect is definitely touched on a lot here. I, I thought um, I thought the Russian guy's assistant actually was the one who really showed a lot more of, like, the animosity. Obviously, the older brother of the, the older of the Swedish brothers, Finnish brothers, um, is obviously probably the more violent of them. But you could see in every scene where the two brothers walk away first and then the two Russians are behind them. The, the younger Russian, the assistant, you could see the look on his face of just sheer discontent and just actually legitimately wanting to just kill both of those Swedes or Finns. Um, so, yeah, uh, I, I love that. I, I love when characters can tell a story without saying a word. Yeah. And that particular character absolutely can. You can see the hate in his eyes. You can see that he's being forced to work peacefully with these people. But if he had his... You know, if he had his way, he'd stab him in the neck as soon as he could. <laughs> Hell, he ends up stabbing his own fucking <laughs> commander later. Right, right. Well, that was more because of uh, the supernatural element than yeah, yeah. just deciding to kill his, yeah. But yeah, no, I, 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 think that, I, that. I think that happens in like a lot of, you know, war settings or war-torn settings, I guess this would be, um, where a lot of times the younger characters they're more like gung ho about like, you know, the people, these people from this other country or whoever we're, we're with, they're evil and we need to destroy where it's like the older 
the older ones that have been through a lot of it and have experienced everything, their perspectives change and they're, it's like they're just tired of, of war. Like they, they've realized it's, it's up to no good or it's, it's up to nothing good. And like, you can see they're looking for like a resolution to everything where like sometimes the younger soldiers are still like, no, the, the way to solve this is to destroy the other side. There's no other way to fix it than do that. Mm-hmm. Never surrender. Uh, yeah. It, it, it's just a great, you know, Finland, they're doing big things, make more movies. <laughs> yeah. I wish they would do more. I mean, especially the folk style. I mean, this, these are these period pieces, man. It seems like foreign, uh, foreign countries nail period pieces, especially in horror, um, a lot better than Americans do, or at least a lot more often. So, They've just got more experience with it. But, yeah, I mean, the, the, you know, you could see you could feel the turn of the century sensibility here, um, even the way that the villagers uh, reacted when uh, the two when the four representatives show up. Uh, you know, they very standoffish, basically recognizing that there is a war going on, but they had no idea that it was over. Obviously, yeah. they were so far away. Um and then with the revelation that they are right on the border, they are not in the north or the south. They are right on the uh, the middle of the swamp, which is basically the current borderline of Sweden and uh, Russia. And they're, you know, they're, obviously they're trying to come up with new borders a- after the war. And I, I absolutely love uh, the way that they end this. I don't mean like the actual final scene. I mean that the the decisions that the two magistrates make. Uh-huh. How Finland, Finland puts in their copy that, oh, that village belongs to Russia, please stay away. But then Russia puts in their copy, that village now belongs to Sweden, stay away. So I, I, I thought that was actually a pretty cool way to end the movie, because with both of them basically um, denying ownership of the village, for the most part, it's going to keep people out of there. So, yeah, I like that a lot. Yeah, that's a good I like that aspect of it too. It's kind of funny. He was cracking up. <laughs> yeah, they all they all recognize uh, they all recognize that there's something wrong with this village and that people should not be coming to visit. <laughs> yeah, especially when they go into like that. I think it's like a hospital room where there's like a fucking dude who gouges his own eyes out and chewed his tongue. Like, yeah, uh, yeah, it's like, war man. <laughs> good movie. Good Great movie. movie. It's definitely going to take. For anybody listening who has never seen this film, it might take a couple of watches to really get the full grasp of, you know, everything that the movie's trying to say. Um, you could take it at face value, but if you just take it at face value, you're probably going to walk away the way I did after watching it the first time where, you, you know, it's pretty, but you're just very confused as to what exactly you watched. But like I said, after a couple of watches... And you really, and even maybe even do some research on that, uh, the flower of sauna. And, you know, it it actually explains a lot um, with what these people, you know, think is going on here. So it works for me in almost every way. I think, I think I'm with Mike. I think I enjoyed White Reindeer just slightly more. But this movie is still very, very competent film that I feel should be witnessed. So, yeah, horror fans, check this one out if you get a chance. Yes, it's a, it's a, it's a foreign language, so you're going to be dealing with subtitles. But um, 
This one's not nearly as uh, well. I, I, this one probably has more dialogue than White Reindeer because White mm-hmm. Reindeer had yeah. sections of just quiet where they were, you know, hurting and whatnot. Um, but this one utilizes its, di- its dialogue really, really well. Like, you know, yeah, the, there, there's no throwaway lines. Yeah, it's definitely it a bit bigger something. of a story, too. Like, there's more going yes. on. It, so, definitely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I yeah. agree. I agree, definitely. Like like I said, I, I think I actually prefer the White Reindeer a little bit more, like you guys. But this movie's still pretty solid and no slouch, especially for, like, a late 2000s movie too you know i think yep. it's great for that alone you know but uh yeah definitely check it out i know uh, it's streaming on a few like i think it was on apple tv you said venom streaming. yes it's on apple tv um i did end up finding it somewhere else and then i forgot where it was <laughs> yeah uh or if you guys still collect dvd the listeners uh ifc films put it on dvd too so it's available still so you can still pick it up. It'll be easier to find than White Reindeer, that's for sure. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Ah, <laughs> oh, well, Ooh. I feel the love. What about you guys? Are we yeah. all Valentines out? <laughs> we are all Valentines out, man. This is, this is the closest I'm getting to any action today, you know. <laughs> it's pretty funny how we we did an episode on Valentine's Day, but we didn't do any traditional Valentine's horror. I kind of like that. Yeah, it's just the way it works out. I like it. All right, Mike, say we tie a bow on this one. All right. Well, that's No More Room in Hell number 28. But uh, before we get out of here for this episode, let's find out where we can hear everything else we've been up to lately. Hopefully we got some good stuff. So, Venom, I know you're likely to cover most of everything that I'm into, so go ahead. <laughs> All right. Well, as I mentioned earlier, in the Mike of Madness, our latest episode, we did the Stephen Kostansky uh, retrospective. Um, we did feature reviews on The Void and Psycho Goreman. Uh, that's available now on the Prescribed Films uh, podcast network, so check that out. On Fresh Cuts uh, that me and Mike do on the weekly show where we only look at the newest of the new. On our latest episode, we looked at Hunted, which is uh, the latest slasher film to be released on Shudder. So check that out. And we'll check out the movie on Shudder first and then check out our review on Fresh Cuts. Um, Mike also mentioned that our next episode of Fresh Cuts will, of course, be A24's St. Maud. I know a lot of people are looking forward to that one, and I hope you all enjoy it. So check that out. That is officially available in the U.S. now as of this past Friday on VOD. So check that out. Um, Let's see. Underwater Kaiju from Outer Space. um, Still kind of trying to get a date together where all four of us can get together and discuss. I think we're doing uh, Gamera versus uh, Bergeron. Was that it? Borogon. Borogon. So, yes, so we're doing that. A.K.A. Uh, the Killer Rainbow movie. Yes, that's right. <laughs> um, and, of course, continuing our Ultraman retrospective that we do on every episode. We'll be looking at episode 24 of Ultraman on the next Underwater Kaiju from Outer Space. That's available on Legion Podcasts. Um, and if you're looking for that show specifically, look for the Kill the Cast um, podcast, subscribe to them and you will get Underwater Kaiju plus all the other 
kill the cast shows that are currently available. So um, those are all available on the Legion podcast network. And uh, let's see, what else do I do? It's not horror. Okay. Is uh, my biweekly movie commentary show, where, as the title suggests, we do not look at horror movies. On the last episode, we looked at 1980 or 81's Heavy Metal. Yes, the animated classic from 10 different writers and 10 different directors. Uh, We did our commentary there. Uh, It was actually a first-time watch for two of the hosts on the show, um, including Heather from the Friday Nightmares podcast. So uh, it was definitely a lively little conversation. Um, Check that out. That is available on the Dark Discussions podcast network, where, of course, you can find all of Mike and I's shows for the most part. The shows that Mike and I do together, anyway, are all Dark Discussions. Um, And I think think that's it for me for my regular shows uh mike and i recently did a guest spot actually just two days ago did a guest spot on the 22 shots of moods and horror podcast uh we looked at um i don't know kind of television based horror not not tv movies but uh we looked at a couple of movies uh terror vision and the video dead which of course utilized televisions as the nature of the horror so and then we had a bonus review for 1999's the item which turned out to be a very um interesting movie um (laughs) so yeah so check that out um And then I will have one more guest spot next week on the Cut to the Chase podcast. Uh, Cut to the Chase for the month of February is doing Alfred Hitchcock movies. And they have invited me to come on to talk about one of my favorite Alfred Hitchcock movies and a very underappreciated one. And that is Rope. Um, For those who haven't seen Rope, just a great little um, kind of murder mystery plot movie. Um, It's it's the... It's a movie that's famous because it's one long shot. The entire movie, it is a 90-minute movie, it's one single shot for the whole movie. And that's the only time that Alfred Hitchcock has ever done that. And I personally think the movie is absolutely brilliant. So uh, check that out. I'm not sure when that episode will be out. Like I said, we're not even recording that until at least next weekend. So I would say probably... You know, a week or two until you're going to see that out. That's also Dark Discussions Podcast Network. And I think that's everything on my plate, Mike. All right. Derek, what do you got? Oh, he's done? Okay. Oh, wake uh, up. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, Cinema Attack should be coming back, recording next week also with. Uh, we're going to be doing a Charles B. Pierce director's spotlight. Uh, we're going to be doing The Legend of Boggy Creek, The Town That Dreaded Sundown, and The Evictors. So look out for that. Charles B. Pierce, of course, is the director of all three of those movies. And he plays Spark Plug in Town and Dreaded Sundown. <laughs> yeah, and uh, that's about it. Venom already mentioned what's happening with Underwater Kaiju. Uh, I have a few guest spots. Of course, I'm also doing like a guest spot on the podcast under the stairs every other week with me and Duncan McLeish looking at uh, the William Castle box sets from uh, Indicator. Uh, we have two episodes out of that. So far, we did The Tingler and 13 Ghosts, and the next one after that should be out not this Monday, but the Monday after that will be Homicidal. So look out for that. And uh, 
I have a few other guest spots that aren't recorded yet. I don't want to say just in case, you know, something happens as they usually does. We know that with our show. <laughs> something gets mm-hmm. postponed. So yep. that's about it for me for now, Mike. All right. Well, like I mentioned before, Venom uh, pretty much covers everything I do because he's a co-host. <laughs> um, so the only other thing I'll mention is I did a guest spot on Cinema Beef with Gary and Suzanne. Uh, we covered The Mechanic and The Professional and uh, what an awesome double feature that was. So check that out if uh, you're a fan of the show or a fan of those movies. And get yourself uh, some cinema beef. Maybe it's what's for dinner. So <laughs> <laughs> so that's all for me, besides everything Venom named off. Um, and the rotation next time. Is you, Let's go it? back to, is it me? It, it, okay, then. If it's me, I then... I think so. Uh, Didn't oh, that, means, uh, that means we're going to do, like, Deep Star 6-2 with Venom. Are you ready? <laughs> uh, I have no idea what I'm going to pick, uh, honestly. But uh, I'll figure it out. <laughs> I got my next two picks ready. Ooh. I got to rethink mine because, well, I already had that argument. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, listeners, thank you for joining us for another episode in hell. Uh, we will be back hopefully sooner. And remember. When you're in Home Depot, make sure you're on mute. (laughs) (laughs) There's like two people that are going to get that. Yeah, everyone's going to be like, "Uh, what? (laughs) (laughs) And by the way, just stay away from the reindeer section of Home Depot. Because you never know, one of them might be a vampire reindeer. (laughs) Yeah, but if she looks like that, I might be okay with it. (laughs) Maybe. They won't be able to resist. Damn it. I have so many weaknesses. <laughs> yeah, if you ever get tasked with drawing the new border between two war-torn countries, do not accept the jobs. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right, listeners, we will catch you next time. Peace. Adios. Go Finland. Adios.